Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hall of Games, uh, the ever-growing catalog of legendary game titles that have proven to be timeless classics. This episode is episode number 45. As of this same similar episode last year, we have recorded, Jared, about 20 episodes. Um, I am joined, okay, my name is Josh, I am joined by Jared, the uh, lore king, and yeah, last year <laughs> <No>. for us. <laughs> last year, was I don't want that dangerous. responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that maybe uh, you're the not lore keeper because even that has some some semblance of responsibility. Uh, lore yes. enthusiast, <laughs> maybe. There we go. Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, last year was a pretty big one for us. Yeah, we were pretty uh, successful, I'd say, in yes, being sir. consistent yes, and sir. also preparing for the spring. So that worked out for us in. Uh, and episode number count. Now, a lot of those, truth be told, were ones that I had played before and Jared was playing for the first time, but still really fun to go back to re-experience those and also to talk through them with someone who's experiencing them for the first time. So a lot of fantastic episodes last year. Quite frankly, I don't know if I can pick a favorite. I think we did uh, our best that we've done so far in this last year. And I'm hoping that continues going into 2023. Uh, But this is our first episode of 2023. Um, Like I said, this is the Hall of Games. Uh, Each title that we have that is chosen for what we call the Bard's Backlog, or excuse me, from the Bard's Backlog, will then be broken down through comprehensive evaluation and then together we decide whether or not it can be entered into the hall of games we act as the keepers the critics and the executioners of those not deemed worthy and this year i am sure we will have a lot of other fun and exciting games 2023 is looking to be uh, a really insane year for video games and 2022 had some of that promise to it i don't think it quite hit it but we still had a ton of fun this year and we still talk through quite a bit so go back check out those episodes we're going to focus today on our picks for our game of the year awards we have one singular game of the year and then we have a bunch of smaller categories as well a lot of these are repeats some of them are new um and all of them will make fun conversation i hope if you are sensitive to spoilers just beware of that we here at the hall of games do not take uh time to say spoiler before everything we don't take the time to warn you and tell you oh it's going to be three minutes or whatever so uh, just so you know (laughs) we will do our best to say the title of the thing before we actually talk about it so that you have some heads up i have timestamps in the notes if you want to jump ahead to the next thing we talk about whatever it may be that works best for you but just know we do have spoilers um you can email us. Our email is askvgb at gmail.com to comment, ask a question, or generally challenge and scorn us. Uh, we do have an email that I'll read in just one moment, Jared. But, uh, of course, other than asking questions, you can support the podcast by following us on any podcast service and by dropping a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Turn on those notifications to get the latest episode as soon as it drops. We are pretty sporadic in that, so uh, we try to get one in at least once a month, and that has been consistent for us at least this last year it was, and even more so this last year. One to two episodes is really our goal, Uh, but because of the nature of Jared and I have different jobs, uh, we are in different states, we have different lives, and so sometimes uh, we're, we're putting this as a hobby, yes, that we prioritize, but definitely on the back burner of um, other parts of life, so 
maybe even just our schedules don't work out to where we can get together and record something sooner. So because of that, sometimes they just come off, uh, they come out in different sporadic ways. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but if you turn on notifications, you don't have to worry about any of that. It'll let you know right on your phone screen when there's a new episode. Um, last time we talked about God of War Ragnarok. I think that was a nice fitting end to our year yes. last year. Yes. Uh, today we're going to go over goatees. But before we get into that, I do have an email here from one of our main li- listeners and one of the ones that I know consistently listens, and I know this because he's my cousin, his name is Aaron, and he uh, emailed us in here uh, last year, it's been a little while since he recorded, so this is a little outdated this time, but uh, he mentions here um, Black Friday and Cyber Monday past, and he says here, I don't know about you guys, but I have little control when it comes to discounted games, also very applicable for the holidays. Uh, that mm. just passed as well. He said he bought Lego Star Wars, Skywalker Saga, and Kirby in the Forgotten Land among a, a few. And his question for us is, do we, on days like Black Friday, on days where there are major sales, do we splurge on games? And if we did that this year, what games did we splurge on? you answer first can you think of any that you got in a sale this year and is it something you tend to do oh yeah oh yeah so i am it's if we recorded more often i'd be coming to we would have a dedicated segment called sales on the nintendo eShop. yes <laughs> because legendary titles go on sale regularly on the nintendo eShop. this year for me i picked up games either a digital copy or uh or a physical copy um you know i uh, depending on when and where they went on sale, these different places, taking full advantage of that. And because I moved here to family, I mean, Cyberpunk, uh, God of War Ragnarok, um, these uh, um, uh, Sparks of Hope, Mario Rabbids, the new Mario Rabbids game. Um, let's see, uh, uh, Arceus, uh, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus is something I purchased when it was on sale. GameStop, I have a GameStop account. So yes, uh, you said his name is Aaron, right, Josh? Yes. Aaron, I, I spend like crazy on black friday i bought all my video games for family and also received some um plenty for sure and i had a bunch of best buy store credit as well so that was kind of like a sale to me because of the way that whole situation worked out and right yeah so anytime the nintendo e-store specifically goes on sale i'm snapping that stuff up um if you're if you're looking for a game aaron uh, to play uh any t- I don't know if you have a switch or anything. I would really recommend Hades. Hades goes on sale quite a few times, you know, a few times a year. Uh, so that's something that goes on sale. That's really, really good. Um, for sure, for sure. In answer to your question, yes, all the time. Anytime something goes on yeah. sale, I'm snapping it up. Yeah, same here. I, I uh, buy most of my games on sales. So oftentimes there'll be games that I'm watching and learning about before they come out or whatever. And then when it comes out, I just wait until. Um, 
it's on sale and then I'll pick it up unless it's something I just absolutely cannot wait for in which case yes. I will just purchase it when it comes out but I mean uh, half of the games that I played this year if not most of the games I played this year came from sales and oftentimes I'll go and I'll buy a game so for instance this Christmas I bought it was on sale in the Nintendo eShop I bought the game Bastion which is you brought up Hades which is hilarious because Bastion is the first game by Supergiant so it's it's their first one has a lot of Hades DNA in it and obviously mm-hmm. Hades mm-hmm. is better that you can tell how they grown and Bastion being their first yeah, one definitely has yeah. some rough edges but uh I got that on a sale that game came out years ago but it was a dollar 99 I think that's the lowest that eShop will let games be put at this point um they fluctuated back and forth in that um, limitation but so it was the lowest it could have been i bought that um and was thoroughly enjoying it i i still am i don't think i'll finish it we'll see but i from my last playthrough which was just this week uh, i was still having a grand old time with it so yeah I'll, i'll pick up older games i'll wait uh so another example i waited until gotham knights that came out this year was on sale 40 bucks as opposed to i think they're selling it for 60 which uh that game should not have been sold at full price just putting that out there uh a very big disappointment to me um in general but i knew i had heard a lot of bad things about it i knew there was gonna be some disappointing aspects to it so i waited until there was a sale Mm -hmm. and then i got it Mm -hmm. um so do that all the time i can't remember what i bought during black friday this year but uh really really uh i think the best way quite frankly to get games and accumulate games is to wait for the sale um a lot of these games too you don't need to play right away some games you need to play right away so like god of war i needed to play that right away because otherwise i'm going to see a bunch of spoilers online and it's going to ruin the game for me so i need to stay ahead of the curve on that Uh, a lot of other games though i don't necessarily need to worry about that or if they there are like spoilerish things they just don't mean that much to me um and so i can just wait i can just wait and oftentimes games go on sale within a month uh yeah or two so it's really not that long to wait so thank you for writing in aaron um i appreciate that uh we just talked over christmas actually me and my cousin and he's a great guy love him so much um really uh happy friendly man in every single situation in his life he's worked uh for amazon since really he he started working and that time that he's put in at a company i think a lot of people look at companies right uh major companies like amazon or i think food industry companies like starbucks or something and they kind of have a negative inclination towards how they treat their workers and it's like well okay you're talking about the workers that start at the very low position, like the lowest position. And yeah, they're, they are expendable. <laughs> like that's just the nature of that particular position. Um, but if you, if you show that you're a hard worker, if you show that you're loyal, um, and if you just continue to plug away, then systems of corporations like an Amazon will reward you over time. Yes. And so he's yes. getting to the point now he's close to making like six figures working for Amazon. That's um, awesome. And he still has so much further that he could go. And it's like, yeah, he just he stuck with the structure and that's all paid off. Um so good work, he, Aaron. He Very yeah, nice. he inspires me in that way, I guess to say. So Aaron, yeah. if you're listening to this, <laughs> uh that's I don't awesome. know if I told you that to my to your face, but uh you get to hear it here. Um anyway. Let's jump into our very first segment here. Uh, The Hall of Games is going to have a new sound, a new look going into 2023, but the segments shall remain the same. I think they work very well. So the first one we're going to talk about is the games we play in. 
and it has been a while a while since the last time we talked and it's been the holidays we've had a long big break so i know jared and i were able to get into a few more games than normal so this segment might be a little bit longer but let's do our best to truncate it here as well jared while also giving these titles the due that they deserve um, but go ahead and get me started here with far loan sales this game that you have down at your plan Yes, that's a game I just finished um, this past week, actually, uh, notable for its art design. So that essentially, the, the simple plot of Far Loan Sales is that it's a, a post-apocalyptic world. You have this little, like, almost tractor-looking machine, um, and it's designed in a very unique way, and you kind of pilot the inside of it, keeping the engine cool, um, uh, welding things that have broken down, and you keep your machine moving forward. You keep it fueled by picking up, you know, compost on the side of the road and putting it in your engine, solving puzzles along the way. And the world that, you know, just, Matt, you're in this, you know, vehicle, the wind is blowing in your face, you can set up sails to to push your vehicle forward as well, traversing, you know, and you, it's it's just gorgeous, it caught my eye, it was so emotional, um, I just, me sitting alone in the living room with a volume loud on the TV, I, I just thought it was gorgeous, worth a mention, it was also, you know, on sale on the Nintendo eStore, so I picked it up. And uh, really, uh, just the cutest little indie game. Um, very beautiful. So I really, really like that. Um, would recommend. Um, another game, Josh has recommended this to me a number of times. It went on sale, and I grabbed it. Inside, do you remember this game, Josh, here? Um, yeah, so I grabbed that. We can definitely do that. That could, that could definitely be uh, on the thing. It was quite an interesting concept. I, I didn't know what to expect, and all of a sudden, I'd been playing for an hour and I was like, I've been playing this game for an hour. What in the world? Um, definitely unique. So I, I finished up inside just kind of like a, a mild um, psychological horror game. You can't really call it horror. It's not that strong, but it definitely interesting and dark. Um, and then along this list, Persona 5 is something I'm, I'm playing ongoing. I've been told that I need to have multiple save files for like multiple large decisions. So you can kind of wrap. So that's something I'm working on and preparing for under 50, under 15 hours on that game, so still working, but chugging along. It took, when I first grabbed it, I was like not, it wouldn't grab me right away. Something about it was off, but now that I've like kind of seen it a little bit, I'm kind of getting into a little rhythm and I'm playing it on the easiest setting. I'm enjoying myself, so that's something I'm definitely going to continue playing. Um, I picked up Mario Rabbids Sparks of Hope. So far, I it's a slog. I, I am not enjoying this as much as I enjoyed the first game, hmm. the freeform combat, or, or the freeform you know, the way they, they allow you to work around the map. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. it is fine-tuned. And it, if you were to do a free-form instead of a grid pattern strategy game, as you know, as opposed to Fire Emblem or the first Mario Rabbids, this game is the way you would do it. But I don't like it. I'm realizing that I like the grid pattern. I yeah, like that yeah. kind of, like, robust 90-degree angle feeling thing. So I'm not enjoying it as much, although it's just as bombastic as the first one for sure. Yeah, I'm also playing... I, um... I've had I had a similar experience when it came to Sparks of Hope, where it was just like, man, okay, these little maps for each of the worlds are like, it's just a little too much. I'm like, I don't know if I yeah. wanted that from Mario Plus Rabbids. I I liked the grid based, oh, just going from start to finish, left to right, in a nice linear path, and you came across puzzles as you went, and you came across levels as you went, like. I liked that structure. This one's almost like, oh, go and do things based off of what you want to do. And I'm like, oh, well, at that point, I'm just going to skip everything. I don't know. It like disincentivizes me to play the game. 
Um, yeah, I so. really loved the challenge, uh, the challenge levels in the first game. Uh, even going back and playing them co-op with my brother a month month or so ago, having a grand old time. But this game, I, it just not as I don't know. I'm I'm with you. I don't like it, and I'm not really sure. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it I'm, might be a case of. I mean, I think we both had a similar reaction to Forbidden West, where it just might be a case of like pushing through the differences a little bit or even some of the similarities until finally things click again. Um, yep. That might be what it is. For Persona 5, are you to the first uh, palace? Uh, you made your way am... to the, like, to the, um, I don't even remember what they call the world. Uh, it's something with an M, right? Um, the alternate world that you can go into. But have you made your way there yet? I guess, like, story-wise, where are you? Just so I have an idea of, like, how far into the game you are. Still still in the very first section. Um, still still working through. I only have um, Skull, Carmen, and the cat, obviously. So I'm still in the, the very first section. Um, have you met not the, too far like, along. Or do you know kind of, like, what the, the current conflict is? Like, or have they revealed, like, who might be the problem and... Like at the it's school still Kushieta, the the coach. Okay, okay, okay. So it is the coach. Okay, so that's, I was just trying to make sure if that was the place or if it was something even earlier than that. But okay, cool. I'm excited for you to play that. You're playing the royal one, right? I am. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna have to pick it up and play it as well because and we keep. I think we said this last year. Persona Five was gonna be a game that we covered, and it just didn't happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's monster, just so large, so. dude. Do you find yeah. it difficult to get into it? Oh, like, so not necessarily combat-wise, but there's just a lot going, like, as far as tutorials and getting into the, the world itself. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's okay. a lot that they throw at you. Um, they really do. And, and then, you know, you're, you know, the little cat I, whose name is escaping me all of a sudden, um, he's like, oh, it's crucial you knock down and then, you know, get a plus one. Oh, it's crucial you pass the baton. Oh, it's crucial you do this. And I'm like, well, what what should be my priority? Like, I, I understand, <laughs> like, there's a dance to combat element, you know what I mean? But but I don't. there's just a lot going on and then fusing personas and then, you know, I, I fused Arsene with another persona and it came out looking very ugly. I was like, why did I do that? Arsene, Arsene was such a beautiful looking persona so um it is what it is um well i look forward uh, to you getting into it and getting a feel for it all um i'll jump in really fast and then you can finish out your list i know you're only a few go ahead um but the games that i focused on over the break which is where i played most of my games were actually all on my switch my switch got some love this christmas because i didn't want to take my ps5 (laughs) um to colorado (laughs) i just didn't want to like I don't know. It was just too much. I was really trying to figure out a way to do it too. But like we're bringing our baby for the first time. So literally you should have seen me in the airport. I was like walking with this massive backpack. Like I looked like, I don't know, a little kid in Dora the Explorer with this backpack that was way too big for him because I had to put the car seat in there. And so it was like this weird like backpack car seat carrier. And it just made me look like a toddler and then i also had the stroller that i had to pack and hold that and then we had our bags we had an extra bag for all the gifts we were going to get and we had to bring back so it was just like all this stuff and i was like i really like i don't have the space for the ps5 but maybe i can take it anyway and then finally i just gave in and was like oh you know what 
the Switch is made to be portable. I will just take my Switch. So because of that, I ended up giving my Switch a ton of love that I hadn't given to it in a while. And I loved it. It was a ton of fun, actually, to go kind of reconnect with it. You know, the just that feeling of like playing it while you're laying down on the couch or playing it in bed and um or putting on the big screen as well like i don't know that was something in 2017 i was like enthralled by and it's just been so long since i've consistently done that but the game that grabbed me from my whole uh catalog of potential games to play was nobody saves the world um, mm. This is a drink box game. It's from the same people that made Guacamelee, and it's 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 kind of like you could say like a Zelda dungeony type of game. It's a little bit of like think of open world ish. Uh, it's two D, so kind of Link's Awakening open world, like that kind of map. But sure, sure. it uh, has a lot more icons on it, like you would in Ubisoft, where it's just kind of pointing you in all the directions you need to go. And really, it's not about puzzle solving so much as it is just like enjoying the combat and engaging in the combat of it but the the conceit of the game what makes it unique is that your character's name is nobody and nobody's just like this white amorphous nothingness of an individual has black eyes like no no emotion that you can see in the eyes themselves um doesn't talk has no personality can't remember who he is at all either and um he discovers that he has a knack for magic he has this wand and using the wand he can transform into i think it's like 20 different transformations or maybe even more than that maybe it's like 25 different transformations and each of them think like mario odyssey style where you throw your cap and you like just get a whole new set of abilities and um ways to navigate and it goes from all kinds of crazy things from like the first thing you get is a rat which is a pretty small, like, you're very vulnerable when you're the rat, uh, but you can fit into smaller spaces and things like that. And then by the end of the game, you're unlocking weird uh, transformations like zombie or uh, magician or uh, robot, like this massive robot, like, sentry type thing. Um, And all of them play differently. My favorite one was the horse. Like, you're literally just a horse. And the reason I liked him is because he moved fast. (laughs) Um, I could just, like, charge through groups of enemies. But it was a game that really, when you see it, when when you even see other people play it, or when you start it for the first time, it's a game that really doesn't stand out. It looks like any other general um, indie game that may be fun on the surface, but maybe only worth 30 minutes of play, and then you put down and you move on. And you see them all the time in the eShop, you see them on sale all the time, right, begging you to purchase them because nobody else did. Um, And it kind of, it looks like one of those games, just kind of lost in the shuffle kind of games. But when you start to get into it, and it took me a while to get into, uh, probably by the time I unlocked the horse, which I think is the fourth transformation, um, or it, it, I guess it depends on how you unlock them because there's different branching paths. But for me, it was the fourth one. Um, I got hooked, but until then, I was kind of looking at this and ready to check out. Like, um, really, if I didn't have the break to focus on something and like kind of give myself the time to do it, I would have jumped off this game a lot more quickly than I did. Mm. But I once it got its hooks into me, I loved it. I couldn't put it down. I was thinking about it constantly. There's just this fun part of it where you're trying to figure out how to combine abilities and and you start to learn like, okay, I can actually take different abilities from different forms that you can turn into and use Mm -hmm. them with another form. And 
as you figure out the combinations, as you figure out all, all the dungeons have like some of them have different requirements that they put on you. Like, okay, in this dungeon you can't heal. In this dungeon, all of them have a particular ward that's protecting them. Um, in this dungeon, um, you you won't be able to change your form. So whatever you go into the dungeon with is what you're stuck with, um, and little things like that promote challenges and then throughout the entire game you also have literally a checklist of small challenges for each of the forums that you have to do and it's integral to upgrading that you do those and so it's constantly pushing you to try new things it's constantly pushing you to be out of your comfort zone to use a form you don't particularly like or you didn't think that you liked or that's weaker against harder enemies um, and as you get a feel for it and as you get a feel for how the different systems play together uh, it really starts to click and become faster paced and um, you start to get a feeling for the map itself and where to look next and where to go next and so on and so forth and there's just so much to do it's packed full of like all this stuff that you can do that by the time you're finished with the game and i think it took me about 12 hours to beat uh by the time you finish the, with the game all 12 of those hours have felt so chock full of content that mm. quite honestly it's felt like it was 20 30 hours instead um that you put into it and so really really fun little game and i had a very good time and enjoying that over the break and playing through it um that would be the one i think biggest shout out for me uh nobody saves the world because i feel like it's just one that nobody hears about no pun intended, um, but also that people just brush off because it looks like a regular indie game, but it has a lot more heart to it as well. Fun story, too. It's really funny. Like, it's just a goofy game. So, like, all the characters that you meet are making jokes or saying something silly, and um, it all works for the most part as well. Definitely has that guacamole personality in it um, and throughout <laughs> it. Uh, quickly, as well, I played Sonic Frontiers. This is their take on open-world Sonic. They're on the right track with this. This feels like the start of something. It doesn't feel like the end of it. The world itself is basically just a bunch of obstacle courses. Like, there's one big massive desert, but, like, all throughout the desert, they literally just threw, like, rails and walls and ramps and sure. and speed boosts and stuff, like, all over the place. So you're just, like, running and hitting all these things and collecting different stuff uh, to unlock the next level or whatever it may be. They still have, like, singular levels that you can go into and play, and those ones feel a lot more traditional Sonic. The open world itself, though, is cool. Sonic moves crazy fast. He has a ton of abilities that help with uh, traversal, but it just feels like a tech demo to me. Like It just feels like someone literally opened up a program on Unreal Engine or something um, and threw a bunch of stuff onto the map itself for you to just run mm. around and try. And mm -hmm. because of that, it feels slightly unfinished. It doesn't feel vibrant like the world itself doesn't. It feels very empty, cold. All the enemies you face are robots, so that doesn't help with it either. Um, and the story itself is, is pretty generic and boring as well. So what was, for a lot of people, I think, going to be the next big AAA Sonic, for me, has an idea of what that might be, but isn't quite there. This is not Sonic Breath of the Wild. Um, it's not even Sonic... Arceus or Pokemon Legends Arceus like that one kind of also has that uh, inclination to it but I think Arceus did a much better job of fully realizing what a maybe Breath of the Wild format would look like with Pokemon I think with this Sonic game it's close to capturing what Sonic is and that what makes Sonic sure. fun while sure. also providing that um but it's not quite a perfect marriage. So I ended up dropping it. We'll explain why as we get into the um, the awards here. Um, but then the other game I'd mention right now would be Bastion. And Bastion I talked about already from the uh, series 
series uh, from the company that makes Hades, um, Supergiant. Their first one um, does a really cool thing. The combat is is similar to Hades, so if you've played that, you can kind of imagine it. It's a little bit slower. Um, you can't um, mix and match things as easily. But you have a weapon, you have a spell or like a, a, a long-range weapon that you can use as well. And you're going through these levels that are uh, not the most full of personality. The world itself um, has gone through an apocalypse. And so you're harboring here at the titular bastion, which is this local area. You find a couple other survivors in the world and you're trying to figure out what had brought on the calamity. And uh, you go on your merry way because of that. But the big thing that I think puts it on uh, my list of like probably most exciting or fun indie games I played this year comes down to its dialogue, which I don't know why I was surprised about because this is the right. Hades group that we're talking yeah, about. They're here. good at that, right. Yes, right. but they nail the dialogue in this game. In fact, I I don't know if it's Bastion or um, I'd have to look at it again or their next game that utilizes the same voice actor as Hades, but the man who voice acts, basically he's he's one of the NPCs in the game. He's this older man who stays at the Bastion, but he talks through your quest as if it's a storybook. So as you do something, he talks about what you just did. If you fall off the map, he'll like make a comment, almost kind of like a, a game commentator for like the NFL or something yeah. like that. Um, but he does it in more of like, a, oh, this has already happened, and I'm telling it back to you. Um, and the timing of it just works perfectly when the dialogue comes in. Um, it's explaining something that you're either about to do or that you just did or another important part of the world. And so the writing behind it and then the man who's actually delivering the lines are fantastic. And because of that, it really stuck out to me and I'm looking forward to finishing it. If I do, we'll see. Um, I tend to bounce off these games, but I put a good amount of time into it, probably like six to seven hours. So uh, I saw a good amount of what Bastion has to offer and I really enjoyed all of it. Um, But back to you, Jared. Uh, Go ahead and finish out your list. Sure. I've also dived into Hollow Knight and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And the reason I mentioned them together is because in my head, they constantly get mixed up with each other. Um, like I'll be thinking of Hollow Knight and yet the gameplay images that pop into my mind are from Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Ori and the Will of the Wisps is from uh, my friend Travis. He's letting me borrow it. Um, if I like it enough, I like to buy a copy just to support the industry. I don't like being a, a leech. <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, it's not having a super uh, addicting start, but that's okay. And then Hollow Knight, same thing. Uh, It's good to get back into a platformer. Uh, So that's fun. I'm liking the explorative aspects of Hollow Knight as well. Um, So those are fun. Witcher 3 is something that, uh, it's been around a long time. It's considered one of the best open world RPGs, and I hate it so far. Um, (laughs) It's not that it's bad. It's that I'm getting old. I'm turning 28 later this year. I'm getting married later this year. um, And I am revolting against learning a new combat system. I just, I feel so old. I'm like, oh, I don't want to learn this. So it, but it is what it is. I'm sure there's a, a rhythm and a cadence to it. And it's certainly not any, it's certainly not any slower than like, say Elden Ring is, you know, stopping to refuel or, or recharge or cast a spell. It's certainly not any slower, maybe even a little faster, but for some reason it feels slower, if that makes sense. So that's what it is, but I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to work through that. Um, and then let's see here. Um, 
uh, I'm going to mention this, Mario Baseball for the GameCube. I will have a lot of GameCube games in 2023 popping up because my brother dug out the old GameCube and it still works. And so now that I'm in Connecticut, I can go grab that from him and I'll be playing that. Mario Baseball for me is just like my Achilles heel. I don't know what it is about that game. It's just... It's just flawless to me. I love it so much. It's so, it's, I just love it. Um, let's see. Doki Doki Literature Club Plus was a recommendation by a passerby I, I got to talking to. Um, uh, so shout out Have to you, you Ray. It? Thank you for that. Uh, what was that? Have you finished Doki Doki? No, not yet. No, just started okay. it. Um, I'm, look, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a psychological horror uh, yeah kind of a dating sim thing. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. It was, I, I purchased it to kind of expand my gaming repertoire because I've never played an sure. Atome game or a Moe game or anything like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I do want to mention purchase not played. Pokemon Legends Arceus is in the ballot for 2023. Uh, Cyberpunk is coming up. And also my sister loves the new um, Skyrim Saints and Seducers DLC. I don't know how new it is, huh. but she's like, dude, this is the best Skyrim quest I've played ever. So I, I've I got to take her recommendation because she loves Skyrim almost as much as I do. So uh, I'll get into that eventually. But my big mention, my my big love that I just discovered and absolutely fell in love with is Marvel Snap. Mm. Now, Marvel Snap was mentioned at the Game of the Year Awards as the best mobile game. And certainly I can see why you're playing... You're, you're playing with, uh, not trading cards because you don't trade them, but you have playing cards with different abilities, on-reveal abilities, on-going abilities. And I have about 14 decks that I've built with different cards. And just the start of the game is so aggressive and vicious and the potential is there. And when you land that sweet, sweet combo and your deck lines up just the way you want it to, oh my goodness, folks. If you haven't played Marvel Snap... Uh, it is the strongest recommendation on the games we play in uh, segment here from me. It is so addicting. It has taken just about 80% of the time that I would normally dedicate to Clash of Clans on my phone is Marvel Snap. The biggest downside is that it runs so hot on my phone that it gets uh. physically uncomfortable to hold my phone. It's that. Wow. It's like that legendary of a game. But um, it is epic. I love it so much. I cannot tell you uh, how satisfying it is to play Marvel Snap. Love it, love it. All of these games. I mean, you're mentioning some some real titans of the industry here, Jared, with your games we play in. You got Persona 5. Doki Doki is like the Hades of dating sims. Like, that's like, it's the best one that you could play. That's what I've heard. And it's such a subversive, interesting one as well. Actually, the... The game itself, I never personally played through. I forced Karina to play through it in college, and I watched her play through it just to see her original, because I had had it spoiled for me from gaming podcasts and stuff. Um, and yeah, that's a fun one. Phenomenal. Love how subversive it is. Uh, Witcher 3, actually, 100% agree with you, Jared. I also bounced off of it very quickly because of the combat. It's not just you. Um, I don't think the combat's very good in that game. I think it's very poor. Um, it's just not, it's just not interesting. And the reason a lot of people play Witcher and consider it one of the best, best open worlds is because of how big it was one, but then also how good the side quest stuff was like the side quest quality is sure. through the roof. Sure. Um, so, but the, the combat is not what anybody goes for and it's almost important. It's like almost too important to how open worlds operate today. Like if you don't have combat, you're not going to uh, good combat rather. Right. You're not going right. to make it in today's open world era back then. It was a little more forgiving. So, 
Um, that is what it is. But uh, Marvel Snap as well, I have heard, is ridiculously addicting. And Dude. I myself downloaded it and started to play it a little bit. Um, I get nervous with card games because they're so intense that I need to be careful about it. Uh, the last card game I got super into uh, really sucked up too much of my time. And so oh. I was... Ever since then, I've been very careful about getting into them. Uh, every so often, yeah. I'll play one that I just I love regardless. But I could tell from the start of Marvel Snap. I think I just did like three or four parts of the tutorial, like two or three of the early matches that you they have you set up and do and kind of walk you through. Um, I could tell had a lot going on, and I could tell could get to the point of being very very addicting. So I have not played it since then, but it does stick out as something that. Um, is just is just doing everything you want a card game to do, especially with Marvel characters. So yes, um, love that you mentioned that as well. Ori and Hollow Knight, <laughs> you're in for a treat for those. Um, Hollow Knight is ridiculously hard though, so keep that in mind. Um, but regardless, a lot of great games that you're playing here, Jared, and I look forward to covering some of these in the following year. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out if I could. Um, So Pokemon Legends, is it Arceus? Am I saying that right? Um, From from what I know, it's Arceus. Oh, Arceus. Arceus. It's a a hard C. It's Arceus. Arceus. Okay, pardon me. me. Well, the reason I can't pronounce it is because this will be my first foray into Pokemon games. My manager slash coworker, Alexis, shout out to Alexis, convinced me to get it. I ordered it the next day, and so it arrived at my house, and I'm, I'm, I was like, let me save this. Let me save this for 2023, um, and it's going to be my first Pokemon game. I'm very, very excited. So thank you for that, that, uh, that suggestion, Alexis. I'm looking forward to it. Great pick, too. That one's probably the best Pokemon game they've released on That's what she told me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I started that actually, I got that for Christmas as well. <laughs> um, and I started it. I'm not the biggest Pokemon, Pokemon guy, Pokemans guy. Um, so I tend to jump off of them after the start. This one I started, I got into and I was playing it and I was having Karina play it too. It's just really cool how they've taken open worldly type stuff. And then also just giving you the original crux of Pokemon back with just collecting things again. Um, and the the setting of it, everything about it is just like really awesome. And the fact that they even did this at all when they really didn't need to um, is just really awesome. So I look forward to finishing it at some point as well. <laughs> um, but a, a good shout out for sure. The other games I would mention um, as far as games we play and then we'll move on here and I'll try to be brief. Uh, I have three. Tunic, Dying Light 2, and Vampire Survivors. Now, there are others that I have purchased and I have not played. I'm going to leave those off because we would spend the rest of our time talking about that if that were the case. (laughs) Uh, But Tunic, I'm pretty far into. What a game. Oh, my goodness. Tunic is such a cool gem, dude. This is one, like, I think, quite frankly, having played it now, and I'm I'm not quite finished with it, uh, I'm I'm probably about the halfway point of it where it starts to open up and you go in three different directions. Um, I think this should have been a game of the year contender. Like, really? You should have swapped this. Yeah, I think this could have easily swapped, been swapped out with Stray at Stray, the Game Awards yeah. themselves. Um, now, what Zelda. award did Tunic win? Didn't it win something? It probably did. Um, I don't know what it won off the top of my head. It probably did, though. 
Um, it was there, and I'm sure it was nominated for indie games and stuff as well. But it just didn't get the spotlight. I think because Stray had the cool cat, everybody kind of focused on sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah. this indie game is doing something really special, really special. Um, it's Zelda, so it's 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 very much like Link's Awakening or those top-down Zelda games where you're you're uh, figuring out puzzles and you're going into the dungeons and you're beating major bosses. It's Zelda plus Dark Souls. It has a lot of Dark Soulsy stuff going on, which is like the perfect, you know, nicotine patch for me after yes. like really craving more Elden Ring experience this year. Um, it it has like you die and you leave a portion of your possessions where you died and you have to go and find your spirit again and pick that up. So it has that aspect. Um, it has, I mean, basically. Um, uh bonfires but they're not it's it's a you know it's a statue that you go and um pray at but you always start back there when you die you always have to go all the way back to where you were all the enemies respawn every time that you uh sleep at that so it has all of those things going Mm. on with it uh the combat you have to be very careful in fact the bosses are hardcore like inspired by from software like you can tell they're ridiculously hard actually i don't care for that i almost wish that they didn't get that part from from software a little bit um but it has zelda slash dark souls in it okay so already going to appeal to me but what really works for this game is one the graphics of it it's just very very pretty um but then two it has this guide it's literally a game guide like a manual that you used to get in the cover of your of your game when you would purchase it from a store and as you go through the game you collect pages of it so the very first page you pick up i think is like page 10 and 11 and it's front and back page 10 and 11 and you're like oh Okay, and I'm already on page 10. Okay, so that means there's nine pages before that hasn't given to me. And throughout the game, you pick up more pages, and as you do, it reveals actual significant information to you that was there the entire time. And quite frankly, it's been blowing my mind. Like, really? Yeah, like, it showed me this move that I could have been doing since literally the start of the game. Um, But it then tells me about it and how to do it, and I'm like, oh. I should have been, like, because I pride myself as a as a veteran gamer in someone who, like, tests out all the buttons, you know, figures out what everything does, and then starts to use that to my advantage as soon as possible. But they have hidden things in the design that are there from the start that you just, if you don't know about it, you're not going to know, and you're not going to be able to do it. Um, and then the game guide, you get a page, and it tells you, and you're like... And you just like smack yourself and you're like, wow, okay, I had no clue that I could do that. And then you go and do it and you're like, holy crap, like that's awesome. Um, so I love that. It's like this discovering, it's like you're learning through the manual itself, um, but the game knows that that's how you're going to learn it. So it kind of just slowly reveals that information to you. Um, and part of the way that it keeps things hidden is that there's a foreign language in the game. It's probably one of the tougher things in the game to to get past um a lot of stuff is just written in and i think it's actually translatable which is often the case with like fake languages um so you could go translate it and i could look up what all this stuff says but i don't want to ruin any surprises for myself um but the manual has a bunch of it that's just written in you know a bunch of symbols and runes and stuff and so you can't read what it's trying to tell you but then sure enough it'll sometimes it'll say like oh it'll have like this whole block of text and then it'll point and you'll see an arrow that points to page 24 and now you're like okay well i don't have page 24 yet and then eventually when you get page 24 it does tell you okay it reveals this new thing and you're like oh then you go back and you make the connection um 
So it's just really awesome in that respect. I am thoroughly enjoying that part of it. Um, but also because of that, it can be a little vague. And you have to be really scouring the guide itself because it tells you exactly where you need to go next. It tells you exactly how to overcome a boss. It tells you whatever. But you have to like look carefully at the details of it in order to get that information. So mm. really love that. Really just captures this thing that I think we've lost in the industry. And um, and enjoying that. Dying Light 2, I'm in the start of still. Um, that's my open world game right now. I was trying to bounce forth back and forth between Cyberpunk and Dying Light and kind of see which one hooked me more. And I finally just committed to Dying Light 2. More of what I love from the original. Been enjoying that. Looking forward to getting further into that world. Um, and then Vampire Survivors is the last one that I'm going to talk about. And you'll hear this again in this podcast, so I'm not going to take too much time on it. But uh, what a game, man. What a little fun iPhone game. I think it started on Steam. Now it's on iPhone. Made perfectly for mobile. Um, this is my Marvel Snap. <laughs> like This is the game I've been playing on my phone and have been playing insane amounts of. Uh, it's really basic. It's a it's a kind of an auto attack game where you're just moving and avoiding um, groups of enemies. But it has so much more to it than just that. Um, the strategies that you start to get a feel for become more and more uh, interesting and make each run more and more exciting. It's a roguelike, so you have a bunch of different runs, but uh, man, is it a fun game, and I have really just had a hard time putting it down. It's gotten to the point now that like every time I open up my phone, I just want to play a little bit, <laughs> uh, but I can't do that because the sessions can go for a really long time, So, uh, but it has really hooked me. I think that one as well. I think Tunic and Vampire Survivors were both kind of gypped at the Game Awards. I think both of them mm. could have received more nods than they did, um, but that is the game's we play in. Woo! All right. Let's jump into our next segment here. We got a 45 minutes of that. So let's jump into our next segment here, the default segment. the default segment we are just going to look forward to this year we're here at the start of 2023 so jared tell me do you have any hopes and dreams for this year is there anything you're looking forward to that you already know is coming this year uh any ambitions for this year as well yeah well uh, the biggest thing on my docket is getting married later this year i'm super excited for that um, yes. obviously obviously um you know, uh, looking forward to having you there uh, and Karina and the baby, if possible. Very excited. I, I really am looking forward to the, I think, the combined expression of both Lucy and I, you know, mine's personality um, and it, trying to throw an event and a party that everyone can love and enjoy. Um, and it personally, because like, my wedding philosophy is that not that I need one as the dude, right? There's so much. It's like, well, it's the ladies' day, but well, that's fine. But my personal philosophy is that, like, if you're going to travel hundreds, uh, sometimes thousands of miles to come see me, 
I'm going to make sure you enjoy yourself, if that makes sense. Uh, so I want to be a generous host, and I want to be a generous uh, groom, and I'm so looking forward to that. So that's the biggest one. Um, so preparing for that is going to be a top priority for me this year, as well as Lucy's. Um, and then, you know, the general, you know, um, you know, try to be more fit in 2023, try to be health conscious, obviously. I want to touch more grass and touch less grass at the same time. Like, I want to <laughs> play more games. Uh, I don't know that we'll be able to top 2022's game lineup. I mean, both the Horizon games, both the God of War games, Elden Ring, uh, Dark Souls 3, uh, uh, so many games that we played through Bloodborne, um, and uh, all the ones that didn't make it onto an episode, but we played. Like, what a legendary year, and I want to have just as good of a year in 2023 um, uh, in terms of quality, even if the quantity isn't there. So, so looking forward to that and and doing a lot of these episodes. I love this podcast. I've been missing it so much. Really looking forward to it. So, that's that's going to be... That's going to be my 2023 hopes and dreams for sure. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, big year for you for sure. And a big year for the industry as well. So um, looking forward to seeing how it all plays out and looking forward to hanging out for sure there in October this uh, this next fall. For me, um, I'm getting to the point in my life that I'm, I'm kind of getting a little tired of New Year's resolutions. So I haven't made yes, any me in too. particular. I just want to like... If I need to make a life change, I just need to do it regardless of the time of year. That being said, having the start of a year is a great time to pause and reflect. So I have been doing a lot of that. I think 2022 was, it's been the best year of the 20s for me, (laughs) of the 2020s. And I hope 2023 continues on that path. And a lot of that's going to come down to me and how I respond to things. 2020 was not a good year for the whole world, and it was not a good year for me, and I let myself get to a point that it was not good. 2021 kind of had some further effects of that, but this year, really, uh, a a lot of stuff happened for me that were positive, you know, um, obviously the biggest one being new baby in the family, and that has Mm -hmm. been just an awesome, awesome new part of my life that at this point I can't even imagine having not had her you know so like all of that is great uh being involved in all the different things that i was involved in getting a house like so many good things happened last year that this year my goal is okay continue on personal improvement in all the ways that i know i need to so reading more working out eating more uh healthy uh uh, keeping off of things that I know are going to just pull me back and hold me back. Mm-hmm. And some of that does include gaming. I mean, putting gaming into a category that uh, is appropriate for it is also a goal right. of mine this year. Right. And I think I struck that balance okay last year. Um, but I want to make sure to continue to do that as well. So little, just little things throughout the year. My goal is to live each day to its fullest. <laughs> um and by any means necessary and i had just a a walking instagram caption aren't you josh well yes yes exactly (laughs) um basically um (laughs) yeah and i guess a lot of this is kind of trite and generic but it's the it's the facts you know at the end of this last year i had a couple of just eye-opening things uh wake-up calls i guess you could say sure Um, and i don't want to get into the details of it but i know going into this year there are things in my life that I could do so much better or that I've been giving myself excuses on that can be fixed. And that's my goal. Um, and then, of course, to 
record as many Hall of Games episodes as we did last year. Yes, <laughs> that's, yes. That's my major yes. goal. <laughs> yes. Um, I outweighs think, everything else. I, th- but. I think the end of the year, uh, so New Year's resolutions for me is actually more useful to look back and see on like what projects I abandoned, like what things weren't actually right. worth my time that I thought maybe they were. Yeah. And like looking back on like, okay, what what in my life surprised me? What what did I not make a resolution on that ended up being a huge part of my life or or really improved the quality of it? And, you know, you always, you get a chance instead of like, oh, looking forward to the New Year's, but to reflect on the past year, what you got to, what you didn't, and what was worth your time and what wasn't. So I think um, more of, instead of 2023 hopes and dreams, it's more of 2022's um, failures in life lessons in, in a yep. sense and in a, in a positive sense, really not a, not a regretful one. So yes. Good. Yeah. Looking forward to this year, uh, forging yeah. forward into, I mean, every time I hear the term 2023, it's like, it blows my mind. <laughs> it's just like, Oh my yeah. gosh, like here comes another one. Um, but I'm also very much excited about it. All right, let's jump into our game of the year awards. start off here with we have a whole list of them let me just say what the actual awards themselves are of course we have our game of the year and that'll be both our personal picks and then we'll pick one for the podcast i think we already have that locked down (laughs) that might not take very long um and then some of the other ones here and let me count up here one two three four five six seven eight eight awards Hmm, I almost want to add another one in here, Jared. What do you think about adding in best music? Best music is a great one because that wasn't really, I don't think they did it justice in the Game Awards. Not that we're a carbon copy of the Game Awards, but I will mention uh, why that's, you know, obviously most recently on my mind. Game of the, uh, for sure, music. I also really like the looking forward category. I just really enjoy that. Like, what are you most looking forward to? Maybe sure. it's mostly just a conversation point. But I, if you were leaving it up to me, I would add both of those in for sure. Let's add in best music just so that we have a nice round 10 awards that we're putting in here. Um, but then I also want to, I think I keep the looking forward as a future segment um as a future default segment maybe we can even do that with the next episode i like that that yeah there you go that works for me yeah because i i like looking forward to it as well uh looking forward to the things that are coming out this year but that almost seems like it should be its own full thing so um we can do that and we will talk through best music as well i think that'll be a fun one i'll have to think through what i'm gonna pick for that but our very first award here that we will cover is biggest moment biggest moments of the game can be uh things that happen in the story things that happen in the gameplay that just struck us as uh transcending the average gaming experience went to that next level 
um, or was so consequential to the game itself that um, it just made a huge impact on us. The things that we often, uh, at the end of the year, remember, but also immediately come to mind when we think of gaming from the year. That's what Biggest, biggest Moment is. And Jared, go ahead and tell me what your pick for that is and why. So my biggest... So- one of the beautiful things about this podcast is the fact that Josh, because of the gap in our gaming resumes, is able to introduce games to me that we can cover um, in a brief period of time because I'll just consume it all at once and then he'll kind of revisit it and you know then we'll keep the schedule rolling. And one of those games for us this past year uh, was Ghost of Tsushima, um, a, a legendary title Josh had to revisit and I you know played completely through. And I think that the biggest moment for me in terms of emotional impact aesthetic impact um you know musical culmination and you know uh, the climax of storytelling was sparing my uncle in ghost of tsushima there's a moment at the end of ghost of tsushima where the um the shogun the leader of japan at the time um tells um your uncle you as the character your uncle to confront you about your life and they must take your life because you've you've demonized and um manipulated the rules of being a samurai so much that you're no you're out of the you know you're you're out of the reservation or whatever I'm trying to say you know you're no, you're no longer accepted in normal society they can't allow you to continue and so you have a choice do you spare your uncle and cause him great shame do you kill him alleviating his shame and but also you know committing a moral sin and that's not something you want to do do you you know what is your choice there and sparing my uncle felt like the right choice, but also one fraught with obviously, you know, Western biases on moral practices and and other things. So there was just that moment specifically was the perfection of a moment, I suppose. There are moments that were huge for other reasons, but um, that moment for me was the largest in my in my in gaming for me in 2022 because it was done so flawlessly. It was also not something that I was expecting. Um, I yeah. knew there was tension between your the main character and uh, the uncle, obviously, but having to make a hard choice like that when the entire game wasn't really about making choices um, other than who to kill first in the guard camp, you know. So there right. was there was like this this great finale to the game that i i thought was perfectly executed and that was the biggest moment of of the year for me for sure that's a great pick i wish i had played ghosts for the first time this year because <laughs> i'd probably put that sure, in right as well. right that's a, that's a really good narrative moment and one that yeah it culminates into and you didn't even necessarily realize but at the same time when it happened you're like oh this is where it was going like this is right what was going to happen the whole time um I mean, he even, like, he's hunting you in the third half of the game, and you're still, like, at the back of your mind, like, oh, but they'll get, like, they'll make amends. <laughs> they'll make amends, right, um, yes. And it doesn't happen, yes. it's a great pick. Such my a Western thing moment, to think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, my biggest moment is, and there are so many listed here for runner-ups, like, there were so many great moments this year. Um, and quite frankly, I could have chosen all, all kinds of different moments from this game. Sure, same. But... My biggest moment has to be discovering Elden Ring's underworld and just that now iconic moment that people are still talking about where you go into the, what is it, the Mistwoods and... The Seafra Well, yep. Yeah, and then you go into the Seafra Well and you get onto this little elevator and it takes you down and it keeps going down 
and it keeps going down, and then finally the walls around you break open, and you can see buildings, and you can see a sky, or at least something that kind of looks like a sky, um, it's the lower portion of the world, and you just keep going down from there further and further, and you're just like awestruck with the world that you're in and that happens a few times in Elden Ring where you're like holy crap this thing's huge and (laughs) you just like keep having those moments so it's hard for me to pick one but I think that one stuck out the most to me mostly because I heard about it before I got there Uh, some of the other moments were just kind of like they happen I was like whoa cool but with the underworld specifically I either you could say I missed it or I just didn't go in that direction. But I heard about it from you, Jared, from you. Because you mm-hmm. told me, oh, uh, well, do you have this yet? You said something about like, oh, can you go on your map and switch to the underworld? And I was like, no. <laughs> he, at that point, you kind of paused. And I, I'm grateful because you didn't, you didn't explain it to me. Um, you didn't like talk about how cool it was. You kind of were just like, oh, okay, well, let me know when you do or something along those lines. And at that point now, I was like, an underworld? Okay, now I have to figure this out. And sure enough, when I came across it, it was... I think you had mentioned it was something in the woods. Like, that was the one hint you gave me. Because I went and found it, but man, did that, like, blow my socks off. And a lot of Elden Ring did that, but in that moment, I think that really just captures how I felt about the entire game. Um, and absolutely loved it because of that as well. Very beautiful as well. Like, absolutely gorgeous. One of the most beautiful yes. parts of the game is the underworld. Yeah, and for sure. because of all of that, it just was the biggest moment for me. Um, we have a bunch of runner-ups here close to that. Uh, boss transformations in Elden Ring, I just want to give a shout-out to. Almost all of them were, mm. like, metal. <laughs> it's just, like, crazy. Yeah, for and real. I loved that. Um basically all of them i can't think of one that was particularly negative uh but really enjoyed those i think getting things like the book of life in neon white or like the egg transformation and nobody saves the world were cool moments um where things really clicked especially book of life uh completing returnal finally after that great task of doing so was big for me um that just was a journey and i i also want to talk about and go back to the fact that Jared and I made a bet on that and that I won that bet by completing Returnal (laughs) by the end of the year. So uh, shout out there. I already mentioned the game guide and tunic. I thought that was really cool. Kind of a, uh, a big moment in figuring out like, Oh wow, there's a lot more to this game guide than just telling me where I am on the map. Like there's a lot going on there. Um, All of those would be runner up shout outs for me. Um, and then there are a couple other ones here, Jared, that you have down. One that we shared was Odin's Deception in God of oh, War. Yeah. And that big payoff when that's revealed. I've actually seen several YouTube videos. I haven't watched them all the way through, but I've seen the little titles that are talking about how you can actually now, people are going back to God of War 2018. And they're looking and seeing if they can find people who were just Odin the entire time and like mannerisms and stuff that they were doing that you can go back and see and apparently there that's are wild. a couple of npcs that you can see doing that so i think that's awesome um but if you want odin's to talk to deception, these other ones, we'll move on odin's deception here was i just didn't see it coming i guess uh, you know i'm kind of thick with stuff like that like lucy can see things coming when we watch movies together she's like oh i know how this is gonna end um but i i did not see it coming at all it completely caught me off guard 
Um, so that was a big one for sure. I think a couple moments for me, Radon Festival specifically was probably my yes. biggest Elden Ring moment. There's so many good ones in Elden Ring. We could have a whole segment about moments in Elden Ring. And what was so beautiful about the Elden Ring experience for me is that we were doing it together. And so you were finding things that I wasn't in. But, um, right. and I might mention this, it might go in a different category of why Elden Ring was so addicting, and we'll get to that later. But for me, exploring the world with a notebook at my side and writing things down and and discovering you know different gameplay mechanics it, without a game guide without cheating without looking on twitter without googling it not ever i never did any of that stuff i had a notebook next to me and it helped me like in the way that a journal helps you it clarifies your thoughts and so i discovered the crack cerulean tear and comet azure um cheat kind of on my own and then mm-hmm. found out that it was a big thing on the internet. And so I was so proud. I was like, oh, I discovered something that was in the meta on my own. Um, so that was, those were big moments for me. Elden Ring was filled with them, obviously. Um, several uh, Horizon Forbidden West moments were pretty big. Um, not as big as the first game, but um, lots of good stuff there. And then I think another, just not really a gaming moment, but watching the Game Awards with Josh, just like texting each other throughout, like while yeah. we were watching was like so fun for me. I really loved that. Um, I agree. So yeah, good, really good stuff. Returnal, Returnal, um, that was good. Um, not super like big moments for me, but I did enjoy that as well. So I, what did what was the bet though? How much do I owe you money? Hundred bucks? I can't remember. I think it was a pizza, but I said it was only if I lost the bet I would buy you a pizza. It was more motivation for me than oh okay um, okay okay. I couldn't like, remember. There was a pizza on the table regardless, because <laughs> you even said in the episode you were like, okay, you either finish this in a week <laughs> like you either crack down on it now and finish it in this next week or you don't get to it and the end of the year comes you know um and i ended up finishing it within the week so you had already predicted that i would but yeah um <laughs> still very proud that i was able to do it yes yeah quickly yes. before we move on i think it'd be fun let's just quick rapid fire some of the other like big moments in elden ring um i'll start sure. by saying when you find the um crumbling feral Missoula, and then even further yes. when you find the dragon, what's his name? Um, the the dragon Fortisax? king. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fortisax. Or, is no, it no, Fortisax? No, 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 no. It's Placidusax. Fortisax yes. is in the dream. Yes, Placidusax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you find him, which I didn't actually find him, I looked him up. <laughs> it's kind of insane how you have to figure him out. But um, I never would have figured him out. I had to look him up. Yeah, I yeah. never would have. I didn't even see it. Yeah. But I'd throw those in as moments. Um, for sure. Figuring out that Gronk and Malekith are the same person, walking through sure. that fog door, seeing them is like, whoa, I recognize that dude. This is about to be nuts. And unfortunately, the payoff wasn't that big because they didn't. there's not really a ton of dialogue indicating that he knows you already, so that's no fun. But it is, you know, it's one of those time things. I think when um, you, when, uh, what's her face? Um, America turns into... Um, the Radagon, like, that's a huge moment. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That's a huge when you find that out. I think, too, um, Radon's comet strike. Obviously, the whole fight is a huge moment, but when he like jumps up into the air, um, Rykar, all of the boss tra- transformations. Um, yes. For me, for me, I think accident, like, I, I split off. I did Weeping Peninsula, you know, afterwards, a, a couple of things. So I went to Lyernia first, the land of the lakes. So going to the four belfries and transporting to four different locations just opened my mind to the map 
and like how how large it was. Yeah. Certainly, the underground areas were huge, and uh, discovering Ronnie and lots of huge, huge moments. But I think those specifically going to um, the Divine, uh, not Divine Tower, but going to oh, what's the uh, why is all the names escaping me? Lane Dell, the capital city, on accident for the first time. Okay. Um, and yeah. seeing that from that, you know, that big golem fight, like that was legendary. So there's so many good Elden Ring moments for sure. Yeah, I throw in um, finishing Ronnie's quest line. I think you you alluded to Ronnie. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super awesome. I think even like starting it, like really the whole thing, like putting pieces together and like, oh, okay, she's saying to go down to the underworld. Okay, where is that? And at that point, I had to start to figure that out. Yep. Um, doing yep. everything with Blythe as well was fun. He was kind of like your companion on it. Um, and some of the other quest lines are fun. I'd say Salins is the one that really stuck with me. Um, and I just looked up her name, so I'm kind of cheating. <laughs> I couldn't remember her name. Um, but she's the sorceress who mm-hmm. is trapped mm-hmm. and you have to like save her body and she appears in two different places by the end of that. And I think there's a couple different endings that you can do depending on how things play out. But my ending, she like transforms in the, um, study in the castle and that seemed just like a tragic note to me and really caught me by surprise and kind of also disturbed me. <laughs> so sure. like, right. that definitely stuck out to me. I think setting the uh, the tree on fire also like was a big surprising moment um, just because yeah. I did not expect that to happen. And then I would also throw in probably just walking out to Limgrave for the first time. Like yes. That oh, that just the moment. Yep. Yeah, it really could even be the moment. Like I might even swap that out for the underworld cuz you walk out, you see this tree for the first time, you're seeing the whole the the music starts up and it's like almost haunting, mm. quieter mm-hmm. music. Um you're seeing all the green and you're you're kind of seeing the scale even though you don't even realize what you're looking at. Like you can literally see Lyndell from there. Um, and you can look over and see uh, even like the mountainous part going towards Limgrave if you go in that di- or not Limgrave, um, Kaled if you go in that direction. And out in front of you is this giant golden knight who just kind of struts out on his horse, and he's the guy that most people just charge toward and then immediately die to. <laughs> um, but it just immediately just puts you in. Here you are. Here's the world. Have at it. And very much capturing what Breath of the Wild did and doing it on a level that was just fitting for Elden Ring. So all kinds of great moments there. Any others you could think of or should we move on? Um, And Elden Ring specifically, it's such a good thing that like Miyazaki did not ruin that moment by putting a random enemy there. Just like, ha ha, squirrel yo, ha ha. You know, (laughs) just putting someone just like (laughs) gank you as soon as you walk out. Can you imagine ruining that moment? No, I think Dark Souls, oh, the Souls series and Elden Ring and Bloodborne all have this unique quality of creating moments with fog gates specifically. You just yes. never know when you walk through a fog gate if it's going to be the boss or a boss or you just don't, because you never know where you are. You never know what's going on. And I think Elden Ring being a combination of both fog gates and open world encounters was just a moment creator, a moment generator. So, no, not, not other. I mean, all the boss fights are amazing, but 
yeah, walking out onto Limgrave for the first time is just, it's, it's a warm, cozy feeling at this point. Because the yeah, first thing yeah. I thought was, wow. And I stopped right. and I set my controller down and I stared at my TV screen and just said, wow, to myself 17 times over. And then you pick up the controller and you're like, all right, let's get to it. And then your journey begins. So, yeah. Yep. And the world is full of all kinds of little moments. Like seeing something in the distance, being able to get there is just a cool thing in and of itself. Walking along a path through the woods and a giant dragon lands in front of you is just always going to be kind of like, oh, snap. <laughs> like yes. that's just like yes. going to happen every time. It's just, it's great, man. I love that game. Anyway, let's move on here. We will talk about Eldering some more for sure. Uh, but let's jump into, so biggest moments, just to wrap up real quick. Uh, mine was discovering Elden Ring's underworld. Jared's was sparing Uncle, uh, was it Shimura, Lord Shimura in Ghost of Tsushima? Yes, yes. And then our next award here, most frustrating moment. So on kind of the flip side of it, we had biggest moment, best moment, now most frustrating here, which you could say worst moment, I guess, to make it a little more generic. But I'll start... My most frustrating moment from 2022, and I was really racking my brain on this, but this one I think I'm going to give the nod here. You could throw some here. They might even be equal to each other, but I'm going to give the nod to losing to the second boss in Sonic Frontiers. Um, Sonic Frontiers I talked about already briefly. It's one of those games I've been playing over the break. Uh, It was my PS5 game actually that I had started right before I left to Colorado. So it was the game that I was planning on playing out in Colorado and then just didn't bring my PS5 with me. Um, so it kind of sat there until I came back. But when I came back, I played it. We were playing, I was playing it again. Very much a white noise game. Like you're just doing all these silly little obstacle things and fighting the occasional enemy. You can do this cool new little ring thing as well that helps to unlock secrets. So there's a good amount of stuff there to do. Not too much compelling you to do it other than it feels good to do so props to them sonic at least feels good Uh, but i got to the first area the first area you play through with amy you get to the boss at the end of the boss itself is just kind of like a really long slog Um, you turn into supersonic so you can't die Um, you have a couple of moments where you have to parry things and then you also want to make sure that you defeat him within the time limit before you lose supersonic and it, it was really kind of, like, overly long and annoying. It just seemed like it was a little too long. So I beat it, went into the second area, and was playing through that. You're in a desert with Knuckles, and you're running around collecting um, different keys and different metals and stuff in order to unlock further uh, progression. And when I got to the boss of the area... I played through it. Um, it was a fun enough boss in like its spectacle. You're up in the air, you're flying around, you're chasing like this basically metal dragon that's flying around and shooting missiles at you. And I'm playing through it, I'm playing through it, I'm playing through it. I didn't do it in the time frame at one point, mostly because I wasn't quite figuring out what I was supposed to do, and it turns out I needed to be parrying a lot more. So I had to restart. I used all of my coins and went through the entire thing. It was really long. I was really annoyed. I looked up again just how to parry because it had been a while because I had taken the break from Christmas. Um, And once I figured that out, I was like, okay. So I played through it again. It's got to be like 10, 15 minutes of me like playing through this boss. It's not hard. I'm just going through the motions. I'm parrying now. And I got to the very end. I beat him. And his massive health bar had taken me forever to get through. And when I beat him, it goes into this quick moment where, and it was like a cinematic thing, where 
all of a sudden, you know, it's like 30 different missiles all shoot and they're all coming at Sonic from every single direction. And a square prompt, a quick time prompt came up on my screen and it was like, okay, press square. So I was like, okay. So I pressed square. Nothing happened. It was still going in slow motion, kind of like moving towards me. And it was obviously like just trying to set up a moment where, you know, supersonic hits them all the way and it looks cool. But the square itself wasn't working. I hit square again and I was like, okay, am I supposed to like wait until they actually attack? Cause it was like in a slow motion moment. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of hesitating. I was like, do I need to hold down square? Like, what does it want me to do here? And then all of a sudden it sped back up and I, I hit square, like trying to figure out what to do. And all the missiles hit me. I didn't do what the game wanted me to do. I don't know exactly with square what it was planning on doing for me. Um, but they hit me, I died, and I was already, like, a little irritated at the game. Um, and the fact that that happened after I had just put a whole chunk of time into it was just really annoying and very frustrating. And it instead of giving me, like, half of the boss's health bar to finish off or instead of taking me back to just before that moment, because it's a silly thing, like... For all I know, I'm going to mess it up again when I get to the end. Like, I'm going right, to not right. hit square the way they want me to again. So when it put me all the way back at the start of the boss, I was like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> I was already thinking about not finishing Sonic Frontiers, and now you've given me the perfect reason to put you down and to move on. So I was just very frustrated. I was disappointed because, honestly, the game probably still had more fun things to show me, um, but... I was so fed up in that moment with how the mechanics of it was handled. And and that's kind of probably the takeaway from Sonic Frontiers as a whole, is that a lot of it is good ideas and the good start to something, but they haven't been thought through all the way. And in that case, I just don't know what they were thinking, why it was set up that way. And obviously, I think some people are just going to do it without thinking about it and do it correctly. Uh, But for someone who's used QuickTime events in a lot of different games... uh, Sometimes you just got to be a little more gracious with it, and they weren't. So I found that particularly frustrating. It caused me to drop the game. So I'm going to give the shout-out to Sonic Frontiers. I think with Sonic games, the Sonic games are interesting because I remember playing Mm -hmm. them as a kid, and the team element always fascinated me. I feel like Sonic Frontiers could benefit from a team element where you have you know, Sonic and Knuckles and Shadow, and they each have a different ability. And so your obstacle course changes as they're... So you switch Knuckles to the front, you can beat through an obstacle. Then you switch Shadow through, you know, to reverse the polarity, and so you jump up to the top level. Or So you're switching through characters. I feel like Sonic Frontiers could... I'm sure it's been done before. I'm just like... It, I saw it, and then I thought, Sonic in an open world? I, that doesn't even sound appealing to me. I don't know that they could do that correctly. Yeah. So. I don't know. I'm sitting here feeling your frustration with you. Um, For me, the most frustrating moment specifically was Mario 64. There's like the ice world where you have to like, you have to walk (laughs) behind this penguin while the snowman up on the mountain is blowing. And so if you don't walk behind him, correct. And he's, he's like obviously dodging back and forth. You have to like follow him. If you don't, time it just right, you'll slide past him and get blown off the mountain. Have to go all the way back up. That happened to me, I think, no less than six times before I finally did it correctly. Um, and then 64 in general, just old game is old, man. I mean, I should get that tattooed above my butt. Like, it's ridiculous how often <laughs> that waylays me. So it's Mario 64 made me, like, grr, like growl more than anything else at the TV. That was definitely it. Um, but 
uh, a close second for me runner-up was just dealing with the same difficulty as skyward sword that was not a fun time mm. at all to have to deal with all the, the motion control and you know finishing the game sure and it took like three laps around the sun good gravy but it was it was same level of frustration um yeah uh, for me and one of the reasons i didn't finish mario 64 yeah no that's a that's a good pick i mean it's 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 old you can't can't deal with that if you uh, even if you wanted to. It's just gonna. Be and we do have a couple experience. that we've yeah we do have a couple that we've both found. Now Monster Hunter Rises tutorials are the reason I still haven't picked up the game. And you mentioned yeah. that here too. I, I, like, did you get any further than like the opening area? No, no, I didn't. Me and either. It was because of the annoying amount of tutorials and almost also how poorly explained they were. It just was too much yeah i'm seeming to have this trouble with japanese games i mean similar issues um you know fire emblem reminds me <laughs> i remember how frustrating that game mm. was and and i don't know what it is about the diff the, you know the dissonance between jrpg tutorials and like western audiences but it's an issue for sure and it's the same reason monster hunter rise has like it's showed up in my dreams but it still languishes in my backlogs like it looked <laughs> like such a fun game and i just can't get into it so yeah 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 no, I'm right there with you. Definitely a frustrating thing. The other one I put on here was uh, Mafia's car race, which is just a little moment. And I fixed it by changing the controls. But I loved playing the game with the um, period accurate controls, where like just the handling of it was a little more realistic, which was one of the options. I liked that all the way up until I got to this car race. And the car race just demanded far too many hard turns and far too many... like uh handling on crazy surfaces and i ended up having to change i like i tried it probably like 10 times and then i had karina try it like three to five times and then i tried it again another like five times and i was like you know what? i just i'm not gonna be able to do this unless i changed the controls so i switched over to just like standard arcadey type controls and all of a sudden sure. it was like handled way better and easier and mm. i beat it um so really not that big of a deal, but the last one I would have mentioned. Um, and then you have a couple of other boss fights in here as well. I do, yeah. The Link's Awakening boss fight was super disappointing to me. Uh, frustrating, disappointing, same difference because of you know some of the standard Link things that I just missed. So And then the opening stages of that game too were like, I don't know. Link's Awakening is a frustrating game in general. Um, for me too, the Garman boss fight in Bloodborne, that's where mm. I put the game down and haven't picked it back up because it was <laughs> up until that point, you know, Bloodborne was such a, it still is considered one of the best um, FromSoft titles. And a lot of people say it, it is the best. And I just couldn't get into the hype over, you know, just uh, what everyone was talking about. I really gave it a shot and I couldn't get into it. And then by the time the end came, I just couldn't do it. And then for me, I was so excited when I mentioned to you a month or so ago that I was like, maybe I'll try streaming in 2023. I don't know. It could be fun. I feel like one of the games that I was really strongly considering streaming was Returnal. And then, hmm. and then something odd happened. I beat the game. A boasting to you sounded like a total asinine friend, obviously. I'm like, oh, it's so easy. But, no. um, <laughs> but don't, don't rewrite history through, here. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> try, <laughs> trying to recreate my success the first couple of times through. Dude, I kid you not, I died more times in my reruns than I did playing through the first time. I don't know what happened. 
I don't know if there's like a scaling, like, oh, you've beat it, so now you must be good, so now mm-hmm. we're going to make it hard. I didn't change the difficulty. I don't even know if there is a difficulty setting. Um, so I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden the reruns were not fun, and I was dying very fast in very early areas into bosses that I had previously trounced. So I'm not sure what happened, but like I just lost the mojo, and it kind of put a strong distaste in my mouth. So, yeah, mm, but yeah, that's, so that's uh, those are the frustrating moments for me. I'm just... You know, I'm more of a casual, so I have more than you do. <laughs> Mojo is so important. It's so important to gaming. I don't know what it is. I played yeah. through both Dark Souls 1 and 2 up to a point this year again, but both times I stopped when I kind of just either disengaged for a little bit and went back and then the Mojo was gone, or yeah. I realized, like, oh, in order to get to the true Mojo of this game, I got to, like, put forth more effort, and at that point I stopped. <laughs> but it is it's important. It's very important for some reason. Okay. So, our most frustrating moments are uh, as follows. Mine is losing to the second boss in Sonic Frontiers. Jared's was Mario 64's clunkiness, specifically in the Ice Ramp Penguin Challenge, which is very much one of the worst parts of that game. So, great pick. (laughs) Um, And then we'll jump into our next award here, which is Best AAA Game. Now, this is best AAA game in contrast to the best indie game. We will talk about that as well. I honestly would have put Elden Ring in here, but I don't want to talk about Elden Ring this entire time. So just know, secretly, I'd probably say Elden Ring, but my pick for best AAA game is going to go to Horizon Forbidden West. And Mm. part of why I'm going to even put this, even though I could probably make a a full-fledged argument for Elden Ring, um, why I'm going to put this over Elden Ring here is because I think Horizon Forbidden West exemplifies everything that someone from 2010 would have thought of as a AAA game going into the future. Um, And Elden Ring is very subversive in that. It has a lot of great new ideas that it rips from other games, but that really works for it. Whereas Forbidden West is taking everything that the industry has learned about how to make a true AAA experience and just doing all of that to the best ability that it can. Um, And we had that whole episode on it, so go back and check that out. But thinking about the graphics of it, mind-blowing. Oh my goodness, so good, so good. Probably still the best-looking game on the PlayStation 5. Yes, Um, yeah. To the combat of it, honed from Zero Dawn, uh, adding in a plethora of new machines from Mastodons to Turtles to um, Giant Snakes and all of that being really cool. Taking the story and really expanding on it is awesome and giving us a world that is worthy of a AAA experience. A lot of games will consider themselves AAA and then deliver a, a basic, boring, lame story. Assassin's Creed, I'm looking at you. (laughs) <laughs> but then also, um, <laughs> also just the uh, the plethora of side quests, the plethora of other options uh, that are at your disposal. It really does its best to live up to the titans of the open world industry, uh, to the Skyrims, to the Witcher threes, to the GTAs, and it tries to find an answer uh, to each of the things that those games did well in its own world and i think it does it 
nigh flawlessly. And I want to give Horizon Forbidden West the nod here because I think it just quite frankly gets overlooked in uh, the amount of games that came out this year and the amount of other fantastic experiences. I think Horizon Forbidden West is up there. And so I'm going to say it's the best AAA game of the year for me. Jared, what is your pick? So, like I said in large caps, I don't know what to put here. And and this is because <laughs> I've played six AAA titles this year, and all of them, you know, have lived up to the AAA title. You know, for instance, uh, when Battlefront 3 came out, they spent $2.5 million just on Facebook ads. So when wow. we say AAA title... You're thinking studios with an average budget in the 50s of millions, you know, you're thinking, uh, you know, hype, massive studios, hundreds of employees, sometimes more. You're thinking, you know, massive studios with huge budget budgets, Microsoft, Sony, these huge, you know, behind backers and all this different stuff. And there's no innovation. They're not really doing anything new. They're taking the best of the best, like Josh said, and using that to make a great game. Uh, and I certainly see why, Josh, you would say Horizon Forbidden West, because if you're thinking AAA, expectations, money, budget, visuals, I mean, that game lives up to the hype in every way. They really delivered something so solid, so flawless, and, and without an issue. Um, no glitches that I could find, seamless combat, um, up above and beyond in, in terms of what a sequel does to, to an original title. Um, just good stuff. But... But if I'm considering all six of the AAA games that I played last year, and by six, I mean like the ones that stand out to me are Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon Forbidden West, Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War 2018, and God of War Ragnarok, as well as Elden Ring, those big, those are the big six that I've played. I would actually have to say that one of the ones that keeps like haunting my dreams and sticking in my head was God of War 2018. And mm. I think partially because, for me at least, as I've had time to really think about like the differences in games and sequels and building like you cannot have Ragnarok without 2018 and the 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 reason I got into 2000 God of War 2018 is because Ragnarok was coming out and so I played God of War 1 2 and 3 to get into 2018 like there's just such yeah, a build yeah. up for me and then the Valkyrie fights Muspelheim Valkyries I prefer over the um not berserkers, but like the baddies in Ragnarok, those little arena fights that they have spread throughout the world. I prefer the open world of 2018 better. I prefer the uh, Muspelheim there to the Muspelheim in Ragnarok. Um, the way that some of the, the like the depth and the father son dynamic was better in the first game. I prefer having Atreus with me the whole time as opposed to Freya some of the time. I, I just liked it more. Um, in terms of the mm. two games. Now, Ragnarok delivers on scale and it upgrades, but there's something about the magic of that first game that I can certainly see why it won Game of the, game of the Year in 2018 over you know every other title. And for me, that was the most impactful AAA title. Like when I, when I turned it on at the beginning of 2022 and played it for the first time, I was like, so this is what AAA is, yeah, should feel yeah. like. And that, that feeling was mutual with Horizon Zero Dawn, but... Um, Horizon Zero Dawn was something I'd been looking forward to for a long time, so I knew what to expect more, and something that I'd you know bought a PlayStation Five to play. But with God of War 2018, when you know you know we got into that, and Josh suggested we go with it, that was something that kind of like whoa. So this is the majesty of a AAA studio. So I think that's going to be my selection for this game. I'm with Josh too. I don't want to just harp on Elden Ring the entire episode. So that's that's certainly it for sure. 
Great pick. You know, the more I think about God of War Ragnarok, the more I I think I agree. I prefer the first one on just about every level, and you you just talk through that succinctly, so I won't add more. But I think Ragnarok time is going to be more favorable to 2018. But Ragnarok still being a great game. Yeah, that's definitely a runner-up for me, would be Ragnarok. Um, Elden Ring, obviously, I mentioned already. Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus also being a fun AAA game that I haven't quite finished, so I can't speak to. The other one I haven't quite finished that I think probably would have taken it for me. Probably. And I guess it depends on how I feel by the end of the game. But Dying Light 2, uh, just because it's it's the follow-up to one of my favorite games, Dying Light... um, I think Dying Light 2 would have had a fair shake here if I had given it more time. It is a very great game. Um, and then GTA 5, I'd add as a runner-up for me because I experienced it for the first time this year. I almost said GTA 5. I think I got to give the nod to Horizon just because it's new this year and also because I think it is uh, a really, really solid AAA game. I think GTA 5, though... There's a reason it's the number one game, you know, um, and I think, you know, we could talk about the 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 detail to the attention detail to the world itself. Uh, definitely AAA there. The uh, insane story, the fantastic voice acting, um, the the smooth controls, the different variety of cars that you can uh, be involved in, all the insane activities. Like, uh, anytime I think of, like, AAA, Rockstar comes straight up into the top of the list of names in my mind. And GTA Five proved that to me. So shout out to them as well. Uh, But I think Forbidden West is going to take it for me. Um, So that is best AAA game. Mine, Horizon Forbidden West. Jared's is God of War 2018. Great pick, great pick. Uh, But many, many good ones that we experienced this year. indie game kind of on the other side of things although to be frank indie games nowadays i think outnumber the amount of high quality triple a games like the the high quality indie game count is always going to be uh, higher than the triple a game count which might just be the nature of development but they've really come into their own ever since basically the start of the indie scene back on the playstation 3 uh we're experiencing the best of the best of them here in um 2022 and 2023 so jared go ahead and get me started with your pick for best indie game sure for me it's a very clear pick um i know stray won the hearts of a lot of uh normies oh sorry excuse me casuals (laughs) npcs (laughs) game awards of which yes yes um for me uh, but quickly i just want to say technically an indie game, uh, the biggest best-selling indie game of all time, has outsold AAA titles. Do you know what that game is? Neon White. 
No, 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 no. Uh, the, the indie game that has outsold many AAA titles is actually Minecraft. Minecraft started. Oh, oh, yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Trick question. Right. I'm sure I didn't. I didn't. I didn't lead up to that right. But technically, <laughs> you're right. You're right. T- technically, Minecraft started as an indie project, and it has now become, I think, the best-selling game of all time. So, if you want to go on technicalities, AAA titles will never outsell indie games because of Minecraft. Um, uh, but if you want to go on like. Uh, you know, broadest mainstream scope, then yeah, AAA titles outsell indie games all the time because of the Mario series. Mario Kart still outsells um, games that come out in the years that they come out. And that game came out in 2017, you know? So stuff like that. Um, But anyway, so for indie games for me, though, Neon White took the cake this year. I was so impressed by a game I expected nothing of. Um, I, you know, it was so just... I just loved it. Everything about it, even the pixelated uh, corners of it, the... the, um, the not having the best graphics, not having the best story, not having the best uh, voice work, and still, still coming up with a legendary game from um, uh, from the creator of I don't remember his name. I did for that podcast, but uh, but uh, oh, Neon yeah, White for me was either. definitely the game, and maybe it wouldn't have been. I mean, the way you described in glowing terms Tunic, which was mentioned at the Game Awards, and something I didn't get to last year, um, and and some of these others, you know, it, I. I you know, maybe it wouldn't have been, but Neon White for me really just—I loved that game. I loved it. So I still do. I recommend it to a lot of people. Beautiful platformer. I think if we had like a best platformer category, it would win over yeah. a lot of really steep competition because it is just so fine-tuned. Absolutely great game. That was one of my runner-ups. In fact, I was gonna put that, but I think I had to go with my my main pick, um, which is for me. Vampire Survivors. <laughs> now this, I just want to interrupt you briefly here. This sounds like, this is so surprising me. So you got to explain the rationale between Vampire Survivors and Tunic because of, like, yeah, if I yeah. just go back to our opening segment. So tell me about your thoughts behind this. Okay, well, my other uh, runner-ups here, I'll talk through real quick before I get to Vampire Survivors. Uh, Neon White's on there for sure. Great gameplay, really beautiful, fantastic soundtrack. Um, Tunic is on there for sure as well for the details uh, that I explained earlier. Um, Really just a perfect Zelda Dark Souls mashup with uh, its own unique spin on it which is everything you could ever want from an indie game um i also had death store on here i played that this year it's kind of like in my mind a lesser tunic i think tunic's doing a lot of the same things that death store does but it's doing it a little bit better but still a really great game inscription is a card based game i didn't finish so and it's a really long one too so that's why i was not as uh inspired to finish it but that one was on there definitely a fun game as well and then the one that I was hoping would be my best indie game is Shovel Knight Dig, which Mm. has a lot of similarities to Vampire Survivors. It's a roguelike. um, You you slowly grow in your power over time as you unlock power-ups, as you unlock um, better stats for your character, um, better armor, um, and as you unlock, you know, shortcuts and stuff into later parts of the level. And my biggest holdup was Shovel Knight Dig, and I have this a little bit later as kind of most disappointing. I don't know if I'd say it was like truly disappointing, but my biggest holdup was that it was so short um, for the amount of money that it was, and then also for really just uh, how detailed its systems were. I wanted it to go on for longer. I beat it far too quickly, and by the time I was done with it, there wasn't too much incentive to go back. And so that one got pretty close to winning. 
but I choose Vampire Survivors above all else because it is perfect at what it does. Mm. Absolutely perfect at what it does. This is the game for your phone that, at least for me, I've wanted probably since the start of the iPhone. You only use one finger, okay? You can just you can hold it in one hand, doesn't matter how big your phone is, and with your thumb, just move around as you need, um, which is just absolutely perfect for mobile gaming. Um, it's not it's not uh, awkward in how it controls either. There's a lot of games where you have like a you know a digital joystick on the screen and you move around with that and it feels uncomfortable. It doesn't quite work. Uh, that's not the case with Vampire Survivors. It is just easy to start, jump in, and go. Uh, so quick start, but it has such a good loop to it that you can find yourself playing it over and over and over, just that one more run uh, feel for it, for far longer than you should. <laughs> um, the rounds themselves can go up to 30 minutes. Now, it took me, the first time I started playing through this game, it took me forever to even get to 10 minutes. But something magical happens after that 10-minute mark. Um, and the way it works is there's a bunch of different levels. You're dropped down on the map. It's top down and hordes of enemies just start to move towards you. It has Castlevania DNA embedded directly into it. In fact, you can't look at this game without thinking Castlevania. It just, it's almost like they completely ripped off NES Castlevania and the little bats that are there. Um, your character itself kind of looks like a Castlevania character. Um, the zombies and the ghosts and all the other things that attack you but as they then begin to move towards you you simply move around and your character will pull off whatever weapon he starts with and each character has a unique weapon and then you can unlock things as you go um but it it has this perfect little loop of you begin to move the enemies begin to move towards you you begin to upgrade yourself as you hit them they drop little upgrade thingies and you can collect those i don't even know what they're called um and then you get your next level and as you get to the next level it'll give you three options for what you can pick to move forward you either get new weapons um there's passive abilities as well or you can upgrade the weapon that you have currently um or it'll not give you those options it'll give you something entirely different um but it moves at just enough pace you're constantly leveling up every time you do you feel a little bit more powerful um and it gets to the point where by the end you're literally a god like when I hit my first 30 minute mark, I was like breathless with mm. how many enemies were on the screen, how many abilities I had accumulated and perfected. Um, you start to learn little things about the game. So like uh, figuring out, okay, your weapons can be upgraded. They can become a different form of themselves if you get them to that final level, uh, which is huge for moving forward. Um, you begin to realize like, oh, you know what? Some weapons work better with others. Um, some of them have different strategies. So the first one that you have is the whip, which just hits in front of you to either the left or the right. And you have to adjust based off of that. And then once you realize, okay, I need to just angle myself with enemies to my left or right, then you can start to figure out ways to kill more people more quickly. Um, and it just, it, it has such a perfect pace to it. It has just a perfect little soundtrack to it. Um, and the way it works, despite the fact that it's literally one touch control is just so perfectly tuned to your phone that I cannot think of a way to make this better. And then the more you play, you realize there's more levels to unlock, there's more um, characters to unlock, there's more abilities, more weapons, more power-ups to unlock, and it starts to become a fuller game than just this basic, small, free-to-play iPhone download that you thought it was going to be. 
Mm. And it becomes very addicting to boot as well. Um, I've put in at this point several twenty to thirty minute rounds where I didn't even realize it had been twenty minutes. You know, I just like I'm playing, sure. I'm focused, yeah. I'm moving, yeah. and I'm just I'm so obsessed with it. And it's gotten to the point now when I finish, I'm like, ah, you know, I could have gotten to the end, or I just I, I moved in the wrong direction, or I I shouldn't have gotten myself caught in that corner, um, or whatever it was. And and you begin to figure out uh, ways to ways to. Uh, grow in your own skill set and in order to improve on the game itself as well and i'm i'm just i'm so addicted to it so that's got to be my best indie game um it really is a perfect video game like some of these other ones maybe have more alluring things to your type of play style or to that type of game and all power to them but vampire survivors is doing something here that you just don't see very often and it's doing it to a perfect degree so Got to give my nod to Vampire Survivors. Um, and hopefully I inspire you all to go get it. It's free on your phone, and you can play it right now. So <laughs> go check it out. Um, but best indie games for me, Vampire Survivors. <clears throat> for Jared, Neon White. And now let's jump into our next award here, Best Story. Best Story. And we're rounding up to the first half of this episode here. So Best Story here. I will get us started my choice is Mafia Definitive Edition. Played it for the first time this year. It's not new to 2022, uh, but absolutely loved it. Really fell in love with the characters. Really fell in love with the world. Um, the setting of 1920s Prohibition era and then going into the 1930s. I guess it's, yeah, it's 20s and 30s. Um, or maybe it's 30s and 40s. It's 30s and 40s is what it is. So it's Prohibition era in the 1930s. And then as that stops throughout that era and then in the 1940s as the world wars begin to break out you kind of go through that period of time um and it is a perfect period piece it's a it's a fictional american city very much basically just chicago um a lot of really great cars that come from that era that really bring you into it um you're a part of the mafia so you're a part of kind of like a, think of the chicago mob and you're you're italian and you have all these different italian buddies and there's a, a progression of you versus is another gang in the city before you become top dog in the city and then after that things become more personal there's a lot more infighting some of your best friends betray you and there's just a lot of um dramatics throughout the story that just fit that era uh that capture what i really would think being a mobster in chicago in the 1930s would have felt like and so i want to give my nod to that i think it was just the best cohesive self-contained story of this year with a very close up being your pick jared so what did you choose for best story so is it is a little bit of a toss-up i think that the world building of elden ring is part of its storytelling right so it's like it's hard to choose and i certainly see how god of war ragnarok ran away with a lot of the awards other than the big one uh at the game awards last year um, but for me, it's Ragnarok. And I think because of the culmination of the story, I think, and it made me, you know, it made me emotional at big parts. There's a part where you see Thor fighting Jormungandr and you're just, your heart swells inside you. It's just gorgeous moments of um, a pinnacle storytelling. Heimdall and the, and the, the, 
having um, Mimir for the whole game was a treat as opposed to just for half of it, like in the in 2018. So I really loved that. And the incorporation of Freya was near flawless. It was missing a couple of other world-building elements, but like for a story and the scale and the scope, I really liked that their twist on Ragnarok, obviously we're all fighting what we think of as Ragnarok from the Marvel stories. Um, so, so I liked it. I liked how they did things. I liked their take on it. I loved the emotional impact of Thor as a father it could have been better as i said in the other episode but it was there and it you know is present and um so it certainly could have been tied together in some ways but it still had more impact than horizon forbidden west and elden ring um as well as some others i i would my closest runner-up would actually be ghost of tsushima because i found that the mm. next closest like impactful story i think for me um or just 2018 but because 2018 ragnarok together make a case for themselves i have to give it to ragnarok so that was my thought process behind it good pick yeah um i'd I'd say that was my second closest so ragnarok was right there for me as well mafia i think i'm just gonna give the nod i think ragnarok was just a little messy there was a lot of it where i didn't know why we were doing what we were doing it didn't seem like there was motivation behind it sure yeah and I see that it kind of like it felt like it was meandering towards Ragnarok until the big stuff happened. And now we were going towards it. I don't know. Um, Yeah. So pacing wise, I think left a little bit for me to be desired. And so I'm going to give the nod to Mafia. Um, Horizon Forbidden West is a great shout out. Um, Nobody Saves the World ended up being a fun little story. I loved the way the story ended. In fact, when it ended um, and some of the like little revelations, it's a very basic game. And I don't want to spoil it, but just some of the basic revelations about who you were and how the world had gotten the way that it was were, I think, well deserved when they happened and gave a little bit more depth to the character into the world than I was expecting. So shout out to them. Um, Death Store, similarly, uh, I think it had a very heartfelt story, actually a better story than Tunic. Um, and then I'd also say Deathloop in there as well. But I don't think Deathloop pays off. So... That's its own conversation. And hopefully we'll be able to cover that this year. Yes. Um, But best story. Mafia Definitive Edition for me. Jared says God of War Ragnarok. And kind of tying into what we were just talking about. Favorite character is the next award here. Now, before we jump into this, let me just go over the, the awards thus far. Okay, so we had biggest moment. Most frustrating moment. Best AAA game. Best indie game. And then best story. And now a little bit more specifically, favorite character. Now, I just mentioned Deathloop, so I'll go ahead and get us started here. My favorite character was Colt from Mm. Deathloop. I was having Mm. a hard time deciding between him and Juliana, the two assassins that are constantly communicating throughout the game. But I think I'm going to go with Colt just because you relate to Colt. He wakes up without his memory. Okay, that happens all the time in video games, but uh, really works well here. Yes, Uh, You begin to learn more about yourself, your role, uh, about the visionaries, and about why you're all stuck on this island, why it's a time loop. Um, you discover, you know, the first time that you die, that it's, that is time loop. And there's a lot going on there with that. Uh, you're trying to figure out who Juliana is and she's not budging on information. She's at this point sick and tired of you. And so she refuses to even help you out. But at the same time, there seems to be some camaraderie there and there seems to be some history. And so you get to discover all that. Uh, but Colt is at the center of it all. And Colt's personality was just wonderful i love the way he's written yes Um, yes i love 
how he just feels like a regular person, like he's freaking out as to things that he's learning, but he also yeah. still is keeping his wit. You know, he, he he's laughing things off. He's poking fun at stuff. He gets stressed out. Like, you see him get stressed out. Uh, you see him, you know, get angry and uh, everything in between. And I think that all of those things play out naturally. And so you relate to him quite a bit, uh, while he also at the same time is this very capable hero i guess you could say kind of kind of a scumbag himself in some ways um but just a very very well-rounded character and one that you hear talking throughout the entire game and it doesn't get old um and he he constantly learns with you he you you almost like he's one of those characters in a game where um you have this perfect marriage between him as his own autonomous character, but then you also kind of becoming him as well. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of games mm-hmm. will just give you a blank slate, and that's how you put yourself and insert yourself into the character. Um, and a lot of other games will give you a character that you can't relate to. But I think Colt's right in the middle there of perfect. Like you relate, you feel like you're the character, but then also he has his own vibrant personality on top of it. And um, that's why I'd say he's my favorite character from this year. A lot of great competition. Um, I would throw in a bunch of fun Elden Ring characters. Uh, the kid in Bastion is a ton of fun as well. Uh, almost picked him. He's just he's he's a silent protagonist, so can't quite give him the nod. Um, my favorite just character reveal in Elden Ring, just quick shout out, is Rikard. Mm-hmm. Um, his whole boss fight is just wild. Dude. It's the only one that is easy, at least at the start, you know, because you have it's basically just you pick up the weapon and you can kill the guy. As long as you're dodging, yes, you'll be right. fine. Um, but you fight this massive snake, it's the snake god. And then when you take out his first phase, all of a sudden it's like you killed the snake god, it goes limp, and then it kind of flips around and begins to move and as it does on the on the back of the neck of the snake god is this nasty old man's face and that's Rikard. and it turns out like lore wise Rikard had sacrificed himself to the snake god had been consumed by the snake god and become a part of that god in the process and his whole reasoning was you know he's planning on trying to defeat the other demigods and so he thinks this might give him the edge. Um, but in doing so, he's now lost himself to the snake god. He's he's um, just focused on consuming. He's almost lost entire sight of the ring itself, which was originally why he did it. And now he's just this right. monstrosity, um, part snake, part man, creepy face in the middle. And then he like reaches into the snake's mouth and rips out this giant sword. And then he goes to town on you. And it's just, I love that transition. The voice acting, too. He was, like, so iconic. <laughs> um, I can't even do the voice, but it's just got this, like, like this nasty yeah, kind of, like, yeah. phlegmy, <laughs> like, part, yeah. like, I don't know, quality to it. And really loved him. Um, just really stood out. It's just bizarre, but then also, like, low-key cool at the same time. And um, every time he kills you, he just says, you know, we'll join the gods together or whatever he says. And it's just like, oh, it was great. Very iconic. Um, but I'd still choose Colt. Jared, what was your favorite character from 2022? So in um, in the same vein as, you know, you were talking about Elden Ring, one of the runner-ups for me is Rani from Elden Ring. And you could, for me, arguably could make this case uh, for her being my favorite character. Obviously, I'm a Rani simp 
so are many other people. Uh, but uh, Koden Khan from Ghost of Tsushima. Now, I did critique him when we had that episode, but he does stand out to me as a character that had so much potential, um, uh, as well as the main protag, who you kind of you, you play through, you do the actions of. So those are some great characters. Um, uh, I do want to say, as soon as I saw a favorite character, however, that I thought Colt from Deathloop immediately. As soon as I saw this category, I thought Colt from Deathloop. But um, but after thinking about it, um, Deathloop for me was really tough because I think it's a near flawless game. Um, it's it's really a lot of fun, very well executed story. Um, it kind of collapses just a little bit towards the end. It's not as satisfying yeah, yeah. as you th- as it sh- as it looks like it should be on paper, um, given the you know reveal at the very end. And the dialogue is next level. I mean, if you want to talk to dialogue writers, you need to go to one of two places: either the people who wrote Deathloop from Bethesda or the Hades writers. I mean, it's yeah, it's. Yeah. It's on that level, so it's good, good stuff. But, but the most impactful and the most fun and the near perfectly written character for me in 2022 was actually Gladys from Portal. Um, she was the most, or it, whatever you want to say, was the most fun for me. Um, and the reason why is because I actually finished Portal, and the dialogue was so funny, and it really built out her character. Um, I, so she would be my pick for sure. Um, but, but it's a, it's close. I mean, Colt and Juliana, the death, the, the, the narratives in death loop are really, really well done. So yeah, but yeah, from portal, it's Gladys. Can't beat Gladys. Honestly, if it really can't, we're my first time this year as well. I'd probably throw Gladys in there. She's one of the best characters in gaming. So great pick for sure. Um, so my pick would be Colt from death loop. Jared says Gladys from portal, uh, favorite character there next of our awards is most addicting most addicting now this has nothing to do with the overall quality of the game but is the gameplay itself so good that we got hooked is really the question here so jared what did you say was your most addicting game of the year in in this order it would go neon white uh elden ring returnal Ghost of Tsushima in that order in terms of like, so obviously the first choice for me, Neon White was a game that I, I don't know what, it just made me so hungry for more of it. And I could not wait to beat the game. And I was moving at such a good pace. So one of the difficulties of addiction is that the game will run out of content eventually. So for Marvel Snap, obviously they have like pools of cards that you can get, but you have to really grind really hard to get there. Um, and so it slows your pace and makes it less addicting because you're not making the same amount of progress. But for Neon White, I was playing each level three times. I was you know, going through it first time, get a feel for it. When's the ending? Where? How fast? What should I do here? Corners, left and right. The second one was... Uh, actually beating it successfully in rhythm. And then the third one was getting the ace, the best score for the game. And it was like just challenging and it was the perfect balance. It was a nice fit. It was like Thanos perfectly balanced as all things should be was, was that was neon white for me was the difficulty of perfecting each level and the skill that just imagine like the perfect learning curve, but for every level that was neon white. It was a near flawless in its addiction t- for me. Whereas Elden Ring, there were times where I'm like, all right, this is a little frustrating. Let me switch. It was less addiction and more like I have to finish this, you know, yeah. and uh, same for Returnal. Although I got into such a good groove with Returnal that that's what made it re- addicting. Um, and of course, Ghost of Tsushima 
trying to complete those side quests was towards the end of the game, super, super addicting as well. But for number one for me, for perfection in addiction, was Neon White for sure. There you go. That's a great one. I was honestly expecting Marvel Snap, but I think your explanation makes perfect sense. Okay, um, good, for, good. Yeah, for me, I'd say Vampire Survivors. I already mentioned I was super addicted to it. I still am. Just yesterday, uh, Karina was sitting down to play um, Apex, and she'll play, like, every now and then she'll basically, you know, on the weekends or whatever, if I'm playing, she'll kindly ask if she can play some Apex. And so I will kindly <laughs> say yes, of course. So... What I've been doing is I'll go sit on the couch near her and I'll do something else. Either I, I was when we got back from break, I was still playing games from the Switch, so I'd sit down and play the Switch, um, or uh, reading. And I've been reading. That was what I did mostly on the break, um, as I would sit down and I'd read. And so I was like, okay, this is a great time. You know, I can put aside whatever PS5 game I'm playing, and I can either focus on the book I'm trying to read or play something on the Switch. And then Vampire Survivors has ruined that. Because <laughs> every time I sit down to Karina will be playing Apex or whatever it may be, if I'm, I'm just kind of doing something in the background, I'll be like, oh, Vampire Survivors, and I'll play one round, and all of a sudden, time has passed. Literally last night, I sat down, and I, I went and grabbed my book. I grabbed my little new fan neck thing, and I put that on, and I, <laughs> I got comfortable, um, and I was chilling, and I cracked open the book, and then I, I was like, oh, wait, I need to look something up for whatever reason on my phone so i pulled my phone back out and was looking that thing up and as i went to go back i was like oh wait vampire survivors so i like clicked on that really quick i was like i'll play a quick round and i ended up playing three rounds each of which were 20 to 30 minutes and an hour and a half had passed all of a sudden and i was like oh my goodness <laughs> and i still once i finished that round whatever one i was done on i was like i looked at the clock and i was like oh my goodness it's been an hour and a half and i looked at karina and i was like hey are you still playing she's like yeah i'm still playing i was like okay i'm just gonna keep playing <laughs> so i just kept playing vampire survivors <laughs> and i kind of at that point just put my book to the side and i was like this is what i'm doing i i can't stop um so very much an addicting game for me i i have this situation happen from time to time um but i'd say that one definitely it, it's just one i was very surprised about and has definitely taken the cake very close to that though is elden ring um because mm. elden ring definitely hooked me earlier this year as yes. well yes i put i i've got to have put like 300 plus hours into elden ring at this point from all the different playthroughs i've done uh from platinuming it uh from revisiting it i've gone back throughout the year just to play it here or there when they did the update with the multiplayer i went back and played that so definitely i think time wise elden ring has been the most addicting but i'd say just for like this this itch like this this sure. thing that yep. i can't get rid of right now the most yep. addicting goes to vampire survivors um and that would be my tip off there i have nobody saves the world on here but really that's third to the other two um and vampire survivors takes the cake for me okay most addicting uh, my choice, Vampire Survivors. Jared's is Neon White. If you can hear my baby screaming in the background, I apologize. She is just a noisy little girl. Um, but that's let's jump okay. into She's precious. our next award here. What was that? <laughs> I said, that's okay. She's precious. I love it. She, exactly. She is. She is very precious. Precious, precious. Uh, but our next award is Most Disappointing. So again, kind of a converse here. We have most addicting and now most disappointing game. Jared, what was your most disappointing game of the year? And I am sad to see what it is. 
Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to break your heart here. I, I think for me, um, Lego Star Wars really was a big disappointment for me. That's uh, my honorable mention. I'll get to it. Um, and that's be- I, I just hated it. I was so expecting, I guess, a third person top down, whatever you want to say, like the yeah. old Lego Star Wars game. So that was a huge disappointment to me. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise, I had such big expectations for it. I was like, this is going to be so awesome. And then again, the tutorial is just like... I, I don't know. I, this is why I'm the casual, right? It's like, I need you to be a little bit more accessible, right? Um, and similar issue, although something that I'm overcoming now for Persona 5, same problem. But my biggest disappointment, I suppose, because I've come to expect such greatness from the studio and because the community surrounding it was, you know, so it, it just gave it heaps and heaps of heaps of praise. And people love the world and the lore that surrounds it. But for me, I just couldn't get it was Bloodborne. I don't know mm-hmm. why it was such a big... It, it's not even as much of a... Well, like, disappointment is the word, but it's not like a malicious disappointment. I'm not mad. It's like, yeah, it, I'm not yeah. mad like I was at like Fire Emblem. You know, It was just, for me, the expectations that were given to me about Bloodborne, about what it was, about what it was going to be, of like, oh, HP Lovecraft and the world building and the story building and the combat is so much better than the other Dark Souls games and... And and this and that and I just was like, okay, greatness is around the next corner. Oh, it wasn't there. Okay, <laughs> greatness is around the next corner. Here we go. Ugh. And it just never happened. And um, I'm sure there, you know, if you go back and listen to the Bloodborne podcast that we did, um, there was you know praise that I gave it as well as criticisms. But for me, just the hype around it, um, uh, the hype that. Josh gave it and the community gave it and the fans and whatever. And what I've come to expect from, from, from software, it did not live up. So that's my answer. That's, I mean, it's sad to hear, <laughs> but I also <laughs> know where you're coming from. Go and check out that episode. I think Jared, uh, does a really great job of articulating his reservations with the game. And they are ones that I think on several levels are legitimate and i think a lot of people kind of turn a blind eye towards them when it comes to bloodborne so um it's sad to hear because i love bloodborne i love it a lot and i do think it's one of their better ones but i also very much understand where you're coming from as well so uh totally get it i think the fact that it was sandwiched in where it was in the year might play a factor in for you sure but potentially also you know just a part of life For me, and I'm going to say this one, and Jared did mention it as well, my most disappointing title is Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And here's why. It's because I was actually hyped for this, okay? And I was actually in the mood for some Star Wars goodness, all right? I am a kid who, okay, at heart, who grew up on Lego Star Wars and who holds those games near and dear to his heart okay i do um the first one was one of the first big lego games and i loved it um and then the second one was the the sequel that i never thought would blow my mind on the level that it did and ever since then i've i've looked forward to uh lego games i played a lot of them um and i i fell out of love obviously the older that i got but I went into this year knowing Skywalker Saga was on the docket at some point and really purposing in my heart to get it and to play through it because I wanted to go back to that original love of Lego Star Wars and capture it and then also 
experience what they did in the new modern setting. And and I I got caught off guard here because I didn't look at reviews. I didn't actually take a look at how the gameplay played out. I saw that they had a new perspective, kind of third person over the shoulder. Um, and I heard that there was a lot of more unique parts to the combat. And so those two things together... I was sold, and I shouldn't have been. I should have looked into it a little bit more. Because I buy this thing, I turn it on, I'm ready to play a Lego game. I've kind of put aside the fact that, hey, it's going to be kind of kiddish. It's going to be very basic. I put that aside. I've gotten myself ready mentally for it. Um, I'm ready to play through all nine games, or all nine movies in different formats in the game. And I jump into episode one, and I start to play it, and it's... First of all, they go through episode one way too fast in each of them. They're just way too short when it comes to exploring the episode itself. Um, The dialogue being spoken was kind of weird, and it was throwing me off. Um, And the actual gameplay is slow, is boring, is Mm. easy. There aren't as many secrets in these levels, and... The world itself, the levels themselves that they've built into this are incredibly empty and devoid of personality. And Mm. I was just bummed. I got to the end, rolled credits on episode one. I was like, that's it? It took me like 15 minutes, 20 minutes to get through all of episode one. In the original games, that was not the case. And so I I immediately deleted the game and I was like, "That that was a sad moment for me. I was very disappointed in that mostly just because i built it up in my mind and i didn't look things up when i should have so that's on me but most disappointing disappointing definitely goes to lego star wars skywalker saga um my runner-up is shovel knight dig and i mentioned that already just a little bit too short still a great game i would still recommend it but um was disappointing when i was wanting an original shovel knight experience in a roguelike and it didn't quite reach that level um but my pick would be lego star wars skywalker saga Jared's is Bloodborne for most. Disappointing. We're rounded the corner here. Second to last, and we added this one, is Best Music. Best Music of 2022 for me, Jared, goes to Neon White. Um, Mm. And I really fell in love with the soundtrack after I started to edit the episode that we did on Neon White, and I had to look up some uh, sound bites from it, and I just really found uh, a level of complexity, a level of variety, a level of originality in the soundtrack that I had not found in any other music of this year. So absolutely fell in love with it because of that. Still listen to them every so often just because I I like to have them in my rotation now. It's one of those games that, to me, just like stood out level uh music wise um and um stood out uh, even above some of these other triple a titles uh but that would be my pick jared what is your pick for best music for me the best music the biggest moments came from elden ring and and i do want to um just quickly mention that horizon forbidden west puts so much emphasis on their music um they put so much effort into it and they hired vocalists and the the soundtrack for the game is so long it's like hours hours of music like wow so truly beautiful huge and beautiful stuff gorgeous stuff and yet and yet the quality and the way the music was used in the big moments there is like one specific moment in horizon forbidden west where the music was building with like a robot powering up at just the right like volume and intensity great stuff um and um but for me what takes the cake was Elden Ring's music, especially the main menu music, um, the Radagon mm. boss fight music, um, those two specific moments, as well as the um, the 
uh, uh, apostles, the Godskin apostle and prophet, whatever, well, I can't remember what they are. The Godskin people, uh, the duo, if I, in Faramazula, that music specifically. I mean, huge, huge moments where even in the midst of combat, you're like, whoa, what is this right. soundtrack in the background? So definitely for me, takes the cake is Elden Ring. But I do want to shout out Horizon Forbidden West, as well as, um, and I'll just mention quickly and then uh, you can go, Ghost of Tsushima in the ability that you have to play your own music, to write haikus, more of like more of like world building music, I suppose, and the way that even the wind in the trees sounds like music to me in Ghost of Tsushima. What a beautiful game. Um and, and their music was also excellent for me. Great picks. Yeah, Elden Ring is probably a close second for me. Um just especially at the end when you go into that final fight and you hear the original title music like yes. remixed for yes. a boss fight you're like Ooh. oh like total chills. total chills yeah and like goosebumps all over so definitely a great soundtrack as well um neon white still takes the cake for me the other shout out i'd give is shovel knight dig i think it also just has a lot of fun indie upbeat still sounds like shovel knight so that whole vibe i just love so shout out there but i think neon white really comes to the table with um re-listenability like you can go back and listen to them and and enjoy them every time and also just originality that worked super well for this already kind of weird and bizarre game okay well we've made it to the final of our game of the year awards we've talked through our biggest moments our most frustrating moments we've talked about our favorite AAA versus indie games we talked about best story our favorite character as well Uh, the games that were most addicting and most disappointing to us, and the ones that we thought had the best music. But now, Jared, we must talk about the game of the year. And I think we can both just say it's Elden Ring, right? Like, what else could it be? I mean, uh, to me, like, that's my pick. I think that's the pick of the podcast. Uh, Elden Ring is, is one of these seminal moments in gaming. Honestly, I could probably have given Elden Ring uh, the win in almost every single one of these. Uh, quite frankly, probably all of them, maybe other than, like, most disappointing. Um, and I guess not indie game. <laughs> it doesn't count there. But, like, Elden Ring could have just swept everything. I did my best to make sure not to give it every single time, but it truly is the game of the year. Um, And go back and listen to our episodes on that. Jared, I want to, if they release DLC, and I hope they do this year, like a big chunk of story DLC or something like that, I want to do another podcast on it. (laughs) Like, let's just keep talking Elden Ring because it it is so good. It's everything that you want in a game. It's everything that I, as a From Software fan, could have ever imagined them doing, and they've done it. Um, they deliver on the lore, they deliver on the world, they deliver on the design, they deliver on the combat, they deliver on the discoverability. Everything about this game is is perfect and flawless and wonderful, and the amount of moments in and of itself, like we said, could have been its own category, and we talked through those. Um, and it's it's just it, it's a it's a showstopper. Like this is one of those games that I think we're gonna look back on in ten years, twenty years, and say this changed everything, or it changed the industry and how it operated at the time. And really, just it, it, it's a realization of what video games could be in 2020 when no other game has quite done that. So, uh, Elden Ring is my pick for game of the year. I also nominate it for Game of the Year as far as the podcast for us is concerned. But Jared, why do you also choose Elden Ring? I suppose because when someone comes to you with an idea on how to forward a great story, how to create a, a, a better world, how to 
um, design a combat and traversal system that most of the time people are full of it unless they know, you know, unless they have a mind like Miyazaki does. And I, I, I think that the the expectation of this game, listening to Vatavidya play the um, the beta before it was released, um, listening to people describe in glowing terms that this is something unlike they've ever played before, and then having the same experience as thousands, maybe millions, uh, definitely millions of players worldwide, was a, a community building and personal experience of mine that I'll never forget and that I will always think of favorably. Um, mm. The the community, you know, swept me up in their arms and carried me along with them and having my, you know, notebook next to me as I played this game and and listening to the music and letting that opening title sequence play all the way through just about every time before pressing start to mentally get myself into the zone here in this action role-playing game um, was an experience that I will never forget uh, as long as I live. And I think that um, when you have an original game from a from a series or you know akin to or you know parallel to a series like Dark Souls when you have it from a a, a studio like from software the expectations are already so high and um, for them to deliver in as many ways as they did not just hype not just size scale scope and playability but just like the music as well the dialogue as well the characters as well, looking forward from Limgrave, noticing the sixth time you play through it, um, that you can see the Forge of the Giants. And that when you look up at the moon, you can see the rune, uh, the uh, Ronnie's rune cresting its edge. Even though it's not confirmed, it's something that you believe in your soul because of how this game has impacted you, because of how they've told their stories, because of how these characters have lived out their actions. The scope of time being smudgy and almost irrelevant, but also vague and, and mysterious mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, it's it's unlike anything I've ever played before and may ever play again. So uh, for yeah, certain, yeah. it's it's Elden Ring for me. And I would also nominate for the podcast. I think it's an easy pick. Um, and perhaps, you know, to the people who are like, well, that was predictable. Sure, maybe. I mean, <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, we did two episodes on it this year. Um, we talked about the lore a lot with reverent terms. Uh, maybe even clunkily, we we talked about our love for this game, but um, yeah. it certainly has has influenced us in a positive and had, has made my life more thoughtful, more creative as a result. So I can't ask for anything more. Yeah, I think that's a great way to sum it up. Um, we could nominate others, but I think our official pick is Elden Ring, um, and that's that's one that has happened all over the industry. <laughs> so, like we're not adding anything new here. I don't think you need to though. Like this is this is the game. It's the game uh from 2022 and it's one that uh is going to have lasting impact. So, Elden Ring as our game of the year individually and collectively and we thank you all for listening to this whole long conversation all the way from biggest moment to game of the year itself. Uh, take a look at our other episodes from 2022. They were fantastic. Uh, really great year for our podcast. Yes. A lot of really good episodes, a lot of good conversations. I'm looking forward to 2023 and having even more. So thank you for your time. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please write into us if you have listened and you do enjoy these. 
write in. Um, my cousin Aaron did. Okay, others could as well. Uh, there are many who I'm sure are enjoying but aren't maybe thinking of things to write about. So feel free to. We'd love to read those here and have those conversations. Um, but tell a friend about the podcast regardless. Drop us a five-star review if you think about it and check out those past episodes as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decisions. Um, if you don't agree with Elden Ring, you're wrong. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, and <laughs> until uh, you have those opinions and would like to cite them, uh, this is the Video Game Bard with his good friend, the casual, the mercenary, the lore enthusiast, Jared Benson. Jared, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with before we close out here? It's been a great year, Josh. Thank you so much for introducing me to a lot of these games. Really look forward to this next year. Yeah, I mean, this has been a crazy year for you. I mean, the insane amount of high-quality experiences yeah. you had this year, Jerry, yes. is yes. is awesome, is awesome. And I am almost envious of you as a young gamer coming in and experiencing a lot of this for the first time. Um, and the fact that you're willing to branch out with stuff like Doki Doki Literature Club... I love that. I love it so much. So look forward to us talking about, I mean, we could talk about that this year. We could talk about Inside this year, Persona 5, some other giants of the industry. So, uh, And then the ones from 2023 as well that are new, we will have that in our next episode. We'll cover some of those things. Um, and then we need to figure out what we're going to cover as the pick as well. Uh, but we will get to that. Game of the year, Elden Ring. Thanks for listening. Um, and this is the Video Game Bard, and I'm going to stop talking now, so I'm going to sign off. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks much.